No, no, no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk, episode 273. We're talking about the cocoa. The cat has a barbecue. Yes, it's really good. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. oh hello everybody you know it's probably better if the mic is real low yeah we can hear you now apologies for everybody else for being softy he said we're talking about the cocoa today in case anybody didn't guess (laughs) well that's a different mic i guess we didn't do a sound check at the beginning Let's see. Who we got on the panel today? Let's well, see. you're up in the upper left corner, so continue on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Upper <laughs> left. There's me. There's the cat. Uh, my cat top. just left. <laughs> I was feeding my cat bacon. Anyway, she'll be back. Oh, boy. Anyway, top center, we got Mark Overhoser. Apple guy. Glad to be here. Yeah. All right, next to the top uh, right-hand corner, Patrick Euland. Got no stinking cat, but howdy, folks. All right, uh, let's see. Middle right, middle left. How about that? Middle left. Ron Delvo. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Okay. Center square, L. Curtis Boyle. That's like a free bingo card or something. Welcome, everyone. And let's see. You know what? For this, we need the theme of uh, Jeopardy or something like that, <laughs> or whatever that program that show was that had the nine squares. Brady Bunch. Let's see. Uh, Center Hollywood right. Squares. That's it. Hollywood Squares. I like Brady Bunch better because that makes Curtis Alice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that was Ken Waters. All righty. That's me. With the slam. Oh, <laughs> lamb. Uh, all right. Next over, Grant Leedy. Everybody. And let's see. Bottom center. Are you ready, David Ladd? 
Why, yes, I am. Are all of you ready for today's show? I'm sure you'll be excited to know what's coming up. Let's wait and see. Okay, next over, James Diffendaffer. And what is that oh, hello, you everyone. got there? That is the MC-10. Since uh, I've been doing so much MC-10 stuff, it it uh, people complained about the bug which was a fractal and they complained about something else i did so i finally just eh, i'll put this up and i don't know <laughs> well now we can all build our own mc10s if pedro hasn't done that already okay i don't know why you'd want to do that what you need to it's do is design machine. a 6303 version of the mc10 that's what you <laughs> I would do so much different if I built my own. <laughs> yeah. Particularly with video RAM. But anyway. That's the number one right there. And you guys forgot to tell me to make some co-hosts. Don't forget to make co-hosts. <laughs> yeah. You're recording so. the show too, right? Because I know we had a bit of a <laughs> we had a bit of a technical issue during the week here, so I don't know if all the default settings stayed through or not. Yeah, the local recording's going on. So uh, okay, cool. Yeah, it was just all the all the paths for Google what got uh, foobarred and uh, it took a bit to straighten out. I think everything's back where it's supposed to be. So, yay, Google Drive. So let's see here. Next up, um, some announcements. Uh, I do believe. Yes, yeah, some announcements. Uh, Grant. Grant first, then me. All right, all right cool. Me, so I just want to make a uh, here. Uh, uh, don't, uh, don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so no, I just want to. I'll just. I'll be quick here. I just want to let everybody know that the the, uh, the board of directors uh, had a meeting Thursday. We have finally secured a uh, new venue uh, for Cocoa Fest for next year. It will be held at the Holiday Inn in Carroll Stream. Um, it will be also on the dates that we talked about during Cocoa Fest. It's April twenty first, twenty second, twenty third of 2023 so i think everybody will be happy with this location it's a newly renovated um a little bit smaller than oak grove uh but not by much but um, bigger than heron point right oh yeah oh definitely so yeah definitely so it's not a problem there and um so i think everybody will be very happy with it so it is going to cost us a little bit more money so unfortunately we'll probably have to you know raise the uh, table rates but a little bit but uh they're fairly cheap as it was and um but I'll, as soon as we get everything else all lined up on on the um, meals and the actual cost and everything like that, I'll make the announcements here. That, I think that's going to happen in a couple of weeks at the next meeting. We'll probably get that all ironed out, and I'll let everybody know. Now, so. the big thing that's going to affect most of us sane people that are normally attend the fest is what's happening with the coffee. This is where we have to go get it next door, right? <laughs> so yeah i'm i haven't talked to jim about this yet but i do know we'll probably we we probably will put a cap on it unless you want to pay 38 dollars a gallon so for the coffee but yes um there are two gas stations on the corner so there's and a duck and donuts and a starbucks too in the in the area so and i think uh, you guys have mentioned before there's actually coffee in the lobby that's free too so exactly yep until 10 o'clock and then they take it down at 10 o'clock so and ken is now making the sign of the cross as he hears duncan donuts and starbucks <laughs> <laughs> so um one other thing too i guess i'll make i'll, I'll say is that uh, we're going to have to come up with some uh, new revenue models uh for the fest because um as costs are going up 
And I do not believe that the uh, auction items are going to be in plentiful, plentiful su- supply like it has been in the years past because, you know, people are not throwing away the Cocoa 2s and the Cocoa 3s out or, or donating them anymore because you can sell them on eBay for, you know, a couple hundred bucks and, and so forth. So we're probably going to start doing something like sponsorships. Uh, so like uh, kind of like uh, VCF Midwest does and Tandy Assembly does, you know, where you'll sponsor us for 50 or $100 and can put your company up and stuff like that. So we're still working out the details on that, but um, – we, I think we're going to have to do. We'll probably end up doing T-shirts as well. And um, so the reason I want to make that announcement is, uh, if we have any artists, in, if, yeah, exactly. If we have any artists uh, who are good at making T-shirts, uh, please get in contact with me, and then uh, we'll see if we can get the design figured out and um, get the T-shirts printed and so forth like that. So, but we'll probably be working on some other, um, you know, profit centers as well too to help raise money. So. More to come on that in the future. We have a question in the chat here for you on that from Buck Owens. Um, he says, King bed rooms, two person are $135 a night right now. Are you getting a special group rate? Yes, the group rate will be $119 a night. And actually, $135 was cheap because I was there two weeks ago. It was $185 a night. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears> and I I'll be honest, have to bring a tent. And I'll oh. be honest with you, too. Um, I've, I went through several different hotels. The $99 a night hotel rooms, they're non-existent. Not even at the Holiday Inn Express or a Comfort Inn. They are, they are, they are hard to come by. Not a Motel times. 6? Well, if you want to go down that low, go right ahead. But. Red Roof Inn and Motel 6. There we go, yeah. So, but $119 is not a bad, and no, not that's a bad, not bad buy, actually, uh, with these inflation prices. And, and I actually believe that after this year, after everybody's done traveling so much, I'm hoping those prices will go back down to, you know, more reasonable, like $99 a night. But, yeah, uh, room rates will be $119. And I believe, then don't quote me on this, but I think they'll be for Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and Monday night. If you may remember at the Elk Grove, you came in early, you pay, had to pay full price. Or if you stayed over, to, uh, you know, Sunday night, you had to pay full price. So we got that corrected this time. So. It'll be $119 a night for all five nights or four nights. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, that'll help because some people like will like to make a bit of vacation around it. Other people just like the extra time to get a good sleep. and Exactly. Else, so that's a good idea. Unfortunately, I have to a room with Stevie, so I don't get a good sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Cool. Okay. Hey. I've got some announcements, too. I don't know if anybody else does. but uh... Tell you what, uh, before you jump into that one in the chat, uh, Eddie Zerbinski has made an announcement that uh, he is now officially in remission from cancer. Oh, cool. Oh, good. He is leaving, leaving for a kayak ride to celebrate it. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome actually news. A, that's, uh, the second person that seems to be doing very well with cancer treatments, and there's another one in the news items coming up that I'll mention too. So congratulations, Eddie. Okay. Yeah, you put that in the chat, so I would uh, put that out. Good news. All right, Chris, hey. what do you, you have? <clears throat> My announcements. Okay. Uh, I know Grant and others have been complaining there's been no interviews lately, and that's mainly because it's been summer. Yeah, uh, that's uh, because you've been slacking. A lot of people just aren't around, so. But, well, they just don't want to talk to you. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we, we actually do have some announcements on, on those, and there's actually a bunch I can't quite announce yet because we're still ironing out if, you know, details of the official date the interview will be, et cetera. There's one or two that might be multiple people on at the same time. So we're trying to make sure everybody's schedule works, et cetera. 
But there's a few that we can talk about right now. So uh, the first one I want to announce is actually one that's going to be a bit different. It's not going to be a live show. Um, it, it's an interview with Michael Duncan, who created Xenion that we played a couple weeks ago in Australia. So he's in a different time zone uh, than Nick. So Nick and I, and maybe a couple other people, we're still ironing out the exact times, are going to do a pre-record interview with him uh next weekend or the weekend after i can't remember but basically we'll be broadcasting the recording of it uh on the 27th of august uh recording the week before so by august 19th if any of you guys have any questions that you want us to ask on your behalf of michael please send them either to the email or just on the discord um i'm not sure exactly what the appropriate channel would be for that but uh if you have any questions for him uh send them up and it could be questions about him and his cocoa experience in general it could be about Xenio in particular uh, so please do that. Uh, the deadline for any questions, though, because he wants to kind of vet the questions ahead of time before he, you know, answers them when we do our pre-recording. Uh, we want those in by Friday, August the 19th. So you can email those to the Talk email or on the Discord. So that's number one. So that'll be broadcast on the 27th. Um, we've got a trailer that I believe Mark has a teaser for the interview that's happening next week with Glenn Dahlgren, who's coming out with his third book, I believe. And, uh, you know, some general Cocoa uh, reminiscence and stuff as well. So, uh, Mark, if you want to play that, we'll, we'll let that go. So that's for next okay. week's interview. Hi, my name is Glenn Dahlgren. I am a, um, a color computer uh, designer from way back in the day. You may know me from my uh, Sundog Systems games. Um, I'm also a, um, an author of YA Fantasy and uh, award-winning YA Fantasy. Um, these are a couple of my books. And you'll notice that each one has an award at the bottom. Um, I just won uh, this one. I won a little bit back, further back. But this one I just won a couple of weeks ago, um, which is pretty cool. That's the Dante Rossetti Award. Um, so I would love to talk about uh, some of the uh, my, my books and my upcoming book, which is going to be launching this month at the end of the month called The House of Prophecy. Um, not only that. During my time, uh, I'm going to be uh, potentially giving away some classic Coco games. So you have to be there. And these are original, um, new old stock. And I'll sign them if you want to. But you'll have a chance to win one of these one of these games. So please come and um, come with come and uh, talk with me on Coco Talk uh, live August 13th at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll see you there. So that's cool that you know we're actually getting some giveaways from uh, from Glenn that are Coco related as well. I mean, he's sometimes giving away some stuff for the books and stuff too, and and he's been doing really well with his book series. His and, books are good. I've got the first two. Yeah, I mean, when when Piers Anthony reviews your book and said this is the way you know young adult fantasy fiction should be, that's that's pretty darn high praise. <laughs> so yeah, congratulations to Glenn on getting his third book out. He's working on the audiobook version of it as well, um, and of course some general Coco stuff. I will. I finally found, like he'd referenced in one of the previous interviews, that his very first public mentioned Coco game was actually a, a winner, one of the winners in the uh, Color Computer Magazine game programming contest from 1983. Got announced in the February 1984 issue, and I finally dug out the original article of that. So I'll show that. It's actually got the title of the game and all the other ones that also won, uh, you know, the various different categories as well. There, so there'll be some new new Coco material on there on that interview as well. So look forward to that uh, next week. 
the week after that, August the 20th, um, we're going to have three quarters of the original Nitrous 9 development team. That will be Bill Noble, Alan DeCock, and myself. I'm still trying to get a hold of Wes Gale, though he hasn't responded yet. So I don't know if he's just too busy or just, just not interested in at this point in time. Uh, but it's the 30th anniversary of Nitrous 9 getting released from 1992. And August is actually the 30th anniversary of when Bill Noble first got the kernel booting up in native mode. And uh, this is uh, actually I was watching him do this because he was doing this at work as well as at home. And we had the same job. We just had opposite shifts. And I really didn't think he was going to be able to do it. So I just kind of watched and sniggered a bit. And then he proved me completely wrong, egg in my face type thing. And then I joined in wholeheartedly after that. And then Wes Gale joined in as well. He wrote the installer. He did the manuals. He advertised in Rainbow. He you know, did all the initial sales, et cetera. Alan joined a year or two later. And kind of brought some fresh perspective on stuff and, you know, really went nuts on the graphics drivers and stuff. So we're going to have a general reminiscence about, you know, what it was like when it was still a commercial product, how that those first 10 years went before we released it to the public. Um, and any questions you guys have on the original development or, you know, what inspired us to do certain things or whatever you want to ask. We're going to have all three of us on. And like I said, I'll keep trying to approach Wes and I don't know if we can actually get him. But uh, it'd be awesome to have all four of the originals on, but at least three of them will be on too. So. That's on for the week after. So that'll be August the 20th. So get your questions ready for that one. <clears throat> and then I've got a few that I can't talk about yet because, like I said, I'm still ironing out some details. There is one that is confirmed, though. September 17th, we'll be uh, interviewing Franklin Harris of RetroRewind.ca. Now, we've interviewed him before, but he was a little bit coy on some of his background. Like, he did mention that his very first computer of your own was a Coco 2, and he now does, you know, Coco repairs and upgrades and stuff. He also manufactures the Coco SDC is one of the the two official uh, manufacturers of that. And he's got, you know, uh, cap replacement kits if you need that. He also does, uh, he has a diagnostic cartridge and some other stuff too. Uh, but we're going to be going into some of the history he kind of skipped over. Now, I kind of asked him about this because actually when I went with him down to Boatfest, because we all drove together there from Toronto, he had mentioned that, you know, he had been on the lab with Leo Laporte and he'd been doing some TV stuff. He'd worked with um, people like Amber MacArthur, if you're in, Canada, you watch Net at Night and stuff like that. She was a pretty popular uh, net host. That she's still on CTV to this day. Uh, he also worked with people like uh, Kevin Rose, you know, behind Dig, etc. So there's a bunch of famous people he's been involved with in the early 2000s. He had his own tech podcast in the early 2000s as well. And we were asking the card, like, why didn't you mention any of this stuff? And he said he wanted to promote Retro Rewind on its own merits. He did not want any of his, you know, previous quote unquote fame, you know clouding people's judgment of the company. He wanted the company to be able to stand on its own. But now that he's kind of let the cat out of the bag, and we've talked about it at uh, Boatfest and a few other places now too, we're going to do a full interview and going through his entire background in the industry, uh, which includes a lot of TV stuff and production stuff and hardware hacking and all kinds of things. So he's, it's going to be a pretty fascinating interview. There's going to be a lot of new stuff you haven't heard from him before. So that'll be on September the 17th. Now, in between the 17th and the 27th, when Michael Duncan's... Uh, interview happens there is stuff happening i'm just getting the firm details and there's some stuff happening after that still getting the same firm details um there's a few where you know people are trying to decide which dates can work best for them there's others where they're trying to get some other people to come in for a group interview and want to make sure they can make it so hopefully i'll have announcements on those officially within the next week or two and uh, we'll we'll keep going but yeah there's i think a total of six or seven blocks of interviews that are either officially scheduled or tentatively scheduled at this point so keep an ear out for those. That's the end right. of my announcements. Cool. Switching views here.
All right. Well, uh, what's up next? Game on challenge results, I guess, sir. Yeah, we can do that. Sure. Uh, all right. Where's my buttons? Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the results video for the Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week, where we played Planet Raider. We had a total of 13 players. We had Mr. Dave 6309 with 5750, Ed Rhodes with 10,500, Mark B with 19,150, Tasman with 29,000. David Craker, 37,150. Rick Yu, 40,000. Sabhead, 64,850. Jim Rye, 70,800. Shenley, 81,050. David Z, 119,000. Sloopy Malibu, 120,950. Buck Owens, 283,500. And the number one score this week is Canadian Retro Things with 484,600. Thanks, Holy everybody cow. that played this week, and we will see you next week. Well, that was convenient. I yeah, guess you want well, to make that, sure you beat Sloopy this time. That was the best <laughs> photoshopping I've ever done. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, I did see, and also I did have a few problems with this game. For some uh, reason, this game did not seem to work properly on a 6309 computer. Well, some people were reporting problems with 6809s too, so I'm not sure what the deal is. So, Well, because I, I was running it on my 6309, and it would freeze up at the end of the first level. Then I tried it in VCC on 6309. Same uh, copy of the program. Freezes up at the end of the first level. But then when I switched it over to 6809, it worked fine. Hmm. So Yeah, because I was just following... I, was, like, I didn't get a chance to play because I'm really busy with work, but I was following all the comments in the Game on Challenge channel on Discord. And I think, was it David Craker was having problems on the 6809 on his actual Coco 2? Oh, was it with- 6809? Oh, okay, I didn't see mm-hmm. that one. So it, it seems, I'm not sure exactly what the problem is, or maybe there's slightly different copies floating around. Like somebody was using an older copy that was on the archive earlier from a ultimate download or something. I have no idea. Uh, well, I like I the, said, oh. I say, I grabbed the one from the archive Thursday, and it didn't run on a real Coco 6309 at all. It reliably died at that one spot at the end of the you know, yep. Planet Conquered. But That's, it's no other problem. It It ran and restarted, and I could... You know, other than that one's point, it was fine. Yeah, I had the same problem. It would get to that, and it would uh, show the planet saved, but then it wouldn't count up how many guys you saved. It would freeze up before doing that, and then you couldn't continue. Well, I never got that high to see that problem, but I was seeing occasionally issues when it would start. It's like you'd go to the screen to start, but it wouldn't 
it would just sit there for a little bit and then all of a sudden I noticed that yeah on VCC when you started it up it took a long time to get the program the program for the program to start running it would uh just kind of freeze up at the beginning and but then when it started running it worked fine yeah the meta game was the real fun figuring out all the different ways you could mess with it like getting the <laughs> creatures to spawn underground and things like that <laughs> If you, if you flip left to right as a creature spawning, it will end up underneath the ground. And then you have to go underground to find it, which is cool. So you could fly underground, but you couldn't shoot through it. Yeah, right. you couldn't. You could shoot underground, but it, the bullets wouldn't go outside of the, uh, to the upper right. part, to the sky. And if you shot in the sky, bullets wouldn't go underground. Because I wonder if that was its attempt at doing 3D. So instead of being under the ground, you were flying around the mountain. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> because if if you play it on impossible, you can't touch. You can't even touch the ground. You can't go underground. You can't touch the ground. So, so I think you'd be screwed if one of the uh, little guys floated down to below the ground level, because then you couldn't get them. Ooh, yeah. So I have a question. <clears throat> if if like I know you guys were playing the hard, like the medium level of difficulty, correct? Yeah. If you change the level of difficulty, did the problems go away or get worse or better or anything? Or did everybody try that? Didn't try that. Okay. For a while, we just all thought the author's name was hard. <laughs> yeah, Dave Vincent hard. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm just surprised that a game would have been released in that state with all of those bugs. Well, I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> or if it was a bit like a bad, you know, somebody tried to take some copy protection off and screwed up, which has happened before. So, But I can attest to the fact that when you get to the higher levels, it gets quite a bit harder. Like people were complaining that the game was a little too easy. But once I was up in that mid 400,000 range, there were so many bullets flying at you and the bad guys came at you so fast, you almost didn't have time to react. So the uh, it did it definitely got harder. Unlike some games where it just seemed to just seems to be reach a plateau and not get any harder, yeah. this one sped up quite a bit. Hmm. Now, I I, at first glance, looking at the screens for this, of course, and, and you one of you can play a, a video of the game on live stuff if you want to mm -hmm. to kind of show it. But it's it's it, it looks like Defender at first glance, but there are some pretty major differences in how it plays. If you want to explain those, yeah. So. Um, different from Defender is that you actually have to go down and pick up each of the people. You can't uh, finish the level until you've either shot and killed or picked up all of the people. Yeah, um, so unlike Defender where the, the aliens pick them up, you shoot the alien and then try to swipe and get the guy out of the air. You actually pick them up off the yeah. ground in this game. Yeah, you pick them up off the ground. So you know, there's 20, 20 men per level and you have to try to save as many of them you can as you can without killing them. Once that's over, you fly up through the top of the screen and the level's over and hopefully you move on to another level. <laughs> or the game freezes dead. Yeah. So before I get showing some of that, I do have one review for this game in Hot Cocoa, uh, July of 1983. So as it says, it's a defender type game. Um, goes on talking about how you actually play the game a bit. And then um, one of the interesting things is the review does say that there is a pause feature, but I never found that. I don't know how you pause the game. I don't know if anybody else found that out. I think it's self-paused. 
And then the reviewer does talk about there are bugs in the game, even back when he got the review copy here. So it wasn't because of somebody cracking it or was released with the bugs. So the enemies uh, or the Nazbeats occasionally drift on the planet's surface or even underground. So I think we all saw that. And the cannons can shoot off one end of the screen and have shots immediately appear, appear on the other side. So just like that Moon Patrol game we played the other day, um, they can shoot you from, if they're on the other end of the screen, they can shoot through the back of the screen out to your side and kill you, which happens a lot on the later levels. But he doesn't mention the game Freezing Dead. No. Because we just got a comment from David Krager confirming. He says, "Um, I played on a 6809 on a real Coco 3 and it froze at the end of the first level. Huh. That's... So then... So it's not just 6309, apparently. Okay. Well, I I couldn't get it to freeze on the 6809. I played it quite a bit on the 6809, and it worked fine for me. So, but every time on an I emulator, tried it on, though, or on real hardware? On emulator. I don't have any yeah, real hardware. Yeah, he's on real hardware, so. Yeah. Was was this game intended as a Coco 1 and 2 game? Yes. It came out way before the Coco 3. It came out in 82, so if I remember. It might be something with the Coco 3, then. That's that's possible if he's trying to call some ROM routine that moved around or changed and or messing yeah. with the gimme or not realizing he's uh, accidentally mm-hmm. messing with the gimme. So yeah, it could entirely be the. But it actually also there's does... there's homework for all of our game players for next week. Uh, if either in an emulator or in uh, a real Coco One or Two situation, try the game on that and see if the same problems happen. While I was running it on VCC, which is Coco Three. BCC though has some issues where it, it lets does, stuff run that it shouldn't. <laughs> I know David Ladd, I think, couldn't get it running properly on XROR. No, not XROR. Main. On, no, main. main. So that yeah, could be. Yeah, I was. Every time I pull the joystick down, the game would pause. If I tried to shoot, it didn't shoot. It was extremely erratic. And that was in both 63 and 6809 modes. So it could be the, a problem with it being on Coco 3s then. And VCC just doesn't uh, have the same problem, I guess, because of its... Well, VCC, like I said, it has some bugs where it lets stuff run and, and does some odd things between the Coco 3 and the Coco 1 2 that it shouldn't be doing. I've, I've hit that multiple times on different programs, not just games. It's not the most accurate of the emulators, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, it worked. Unless you're on 6309, then it didn't work in VCC. Uh, So, we did, uh, we had it, I think we had up to four players playing at once during the live stream last night. And that's also where I got my 400 and... How many ever thousand points? A uh, quick question. Um, uh, who is it who made the comment here? I mean, Buck is speculating if it's a Coco 3 thing. He's talking about the VCC Coco uh, 6809. Did anybody try X4? Since it's not a Coco, well, that supports Coco 3 now. So. I did not try X4. Brian Walsh said he couldn't even get the game to start. Buck Owen said the MAME 6809 worked for him. So Dave... David Ladd, were you using 609 MAME or 6809 MAME? I was using both um, Coco 3, Coco 3H, 
Coco 2H, Coco 2. Oh, none and of them it did the you. exact same thing for me. I pulled down on the joystick, game pause. I couldn't shoot. That's really weird. So everybody's having different experiences even with the same software. Like, that's bizarre. It's just an oddly made game. <laughs> there you go. Looks like a good emulator test then. <laughs> the game was stupid. You'll know when the game crashes exactly the same way in all emulators you've reached the, uh, the peak. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> I tried to play it. I could get the, the little guy to go back and forth, you know, and sh I shot the button for quite a long while. And I started at zero and I ended at zero. <laughs> it didn't work. What I, I want to know. I tried, I tried 6809. It didn't work. I didn't know how to go up and down. I couldn't move the little spaceship up and down. Uh, one thing that we did discover that this game definitely has, if you're in an emulator, uh, you can't have both joysticks as the same input. So, like, you can't have both joysticks mapped to the same keys or to the same uh, joystick, external joystick, because it does interfere and it won't work. You can only yep. use the right joystick, I believe. Yeah, so it had to be the right joystick and the left joystick had to be something completely different. You couldn't share any keys between the two joysticks, otherwise it didn't work, which was another little idiosyncrasy that we discovered last night. Well, just from hearing David Ladd's comments where if he moved the joystick in a certain direction, it paused the game, and there is supposed to be a pause feature in the game. Was the second joystick used for that and the first joystick was for playing? It might have been. I well, don't have a second joystick to try that out, so... See, that might be my problem because on MAME, both the left and right joystick are bound to my 8-bit um, Doe um, SNES 30 Pro controller. And so both of them are up, down, left, right equally yeah. on both. So that was so probably that would, it. <laughs> yeah, that would be why yours wasn't working because we did discover that I had that problem when I first booted up VCC as well. And none of the joystick uh the joystick just wasn't responding and then when i turned the i think i just changed my left joystick to mouse and then my right joystick just worked fine okay so you might have used the left joystick as your pause feature you move it down you pause the game or something like that and the right joystick to actually play that could be it was there any keyboard action if you hit f it would fire uh, there yeah. were a bunch of keys that did work for firing. I didn't. We yeah. didn't find any. Probably that worked for not moving. on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> the the old Coco Basic ROMs would actually because the the joysticks and the keyboard are read right on the same PIA. Um, if you don't set it up correctly, you can get like if you remember the old versions of Basic. If you hit the joystick button, like Color Basic 1.0, if you hit like mm -hmm. the left joystick button, you get at A B C D E F, just showing up on the screen, one big stream. And then on the other joystick, I came up with letters. But basically, it would send out a sequence of characters, like every bit on the PI on that particular line is a key. And it would write out all those keys every time you hit it. They actually patch basic in 1.1 to quit doing that. <laughs> and some of the old game developers, this is 82, so I mean, this is in the early days, too, when not everybody knew how to get around it. If you hit a joystick button, it would register. If you read a, ran a regular keyboard read routine on it, it would come out as a whole bunch of keys in sequence. So it's quite possible he's just reading the PIA and, and then not doing that specific check for the joysticks like masking at all. 
So yeah, definitely this game was released with a few bugs and a few idiosyncrasies. But I actually found when you got up to the higher levels, it became quite a challenging, fun, more fun game. Because in the early levels, it's pretty easy just to slowly and patiently go through and complete each level. Even on the hard level. like Two or three levels, yeah. Now, Ken, did you record any of your 480,000? It's all here live on the stream. So can you show us like how difficult it does get later on? Okay, there I am at 204,000. So you can see how many more bullets are being fired up into the... And and they fire down below the ground at you and you know, move forward a bit more. I mean, by this, this point, you thoroughly beat Sloopy, so the rest of it was just rubbing his nose in it. Absolutely. <laughs> That's part of the fun of Game On Challenge Live. <laughs> Absolutely. Just rub Sloopy's nose in everything that you can. <laughs> uh, too bad I can't highlight one screen, but see if I can find a part where one of those... Uh, well, I'm, Sloop- I'm sure Sloopy was purposely not highlighting your screen because he didn't want to emphasize how badly he was getting his butt Yeah. Hooked. So right in here, I think this is about where I start getting killed every time by the uh, seeking missile guys because they start coming at you so fast that you almost can't react. I'm totally amazed you can Photoshop that in real time for a live stream. I know. I, the, I was working hard at that. So at what point did you get a new man, uh, gain another man? I think you got a new man every 50,000 or something like that. So it wasn't quite as easy to get free men as the other games, as some of the other games. And we're waiting. Oh, there we go. So you can see how fast they come at you there. In the top corner screen there. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So, So, (laughs) yeah, it got uh, a lot more difficult. Because you couldn't, you didn't have time to actually. Normally, what you would do when those guys would come at you is you'd let them get up close to you, and then you would just uh, flip your ship around, and then you could uh, shoot them. But in this one, if you tried to flip your ship around, they they're moving fast enough that they could hit you in the air as you're turning around. So I guess anyway. what I'm generally gathering, aside from bugs, is that this game actually wasn't too bad. I mean, it's not quite the Defender clone it first appears to be. It's got some different, yeah. like you said, rescuing humans and then having to fly off screen, you know, to complete a level, etc. So it had some unique elements that made it a bit more original, but it, it, the bugs really held it back. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. As uh, Shenley actually said in the, um, in the uh, Discord channel, it's a fun game, but Probably not going to play it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I can honestly say I don't think I've played it since I put the entry on the website. That's quite a while ago. So, um... Any tips and tricks? Besides running it in 6809 on an emulator? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, if you're playing it, I guess, uh, on the first few levels, staying underground is the best way to avoid being shot. And uh, just go slow. Because um, when you go too fast, then you start hitting things. But I don't know. Did anybody else have any tips or tricks? I Going slow is pretty good. Then the underground, get lined up, and as soon as your nose poked out of the ground, yeah, you could fire and hit something. Shoot, shoot, shoot until you, as you're going through the ground level. Right, the little blinky sprite lets you know when to start shooting. The wall starts <laughs> blinking in front of you, and it's time to fire. So that must have been the metaphysics shielding. <laughs> <laughs> Now, quick question for you, Ken, based on what 60's comment here, because Sixty, of course, tried it in, in X-Ware. He said, I just tried an X-Ware, and it clearly wants an analog joystick. Yeah. And and I'm too bad to get to the end of the level to see what happens. Now, Sloopy <laughs> normally plays with X-Ware. I presume he did so yeah. on this one as well. Did he have yes, those he same did. freeze problems? No. He, uh, as far as I know, he didn't have any problems at all. Uh, he might have had some problems at the very beginning, that he, but I wasn't there when, when it happened. I think his problem was having the two joysticks mapped to the same place. Okay. And I know XROAR through command line, I believe, supports 609. Correct me if I'm wrong, 6E, but I think it defaults to 6809, so that's another possibility. The 609 definitely seems to be more prone, though David Craker does say he was running on 6809 real hardware and he had problems too, so. It was kind of interesting physics. You have air resistance, but no gravity. So you hit the gas, you get going really fast, then you slow down until you stop if you wait long enough, I guess. Yep. And then you're just kind of floating there until you hit the gas. Get <laughs> yeah, 60 saying 609 is the default on X, XOR, and I don't even think you can change that on the uh, the menus built in. I think you have to run command line options to enable 609. So. Well, um, I don't know. Is there anything else to say about this game other than... Uh, I think it had potential. It does need some bug fixing. Yeah. Maybe if I get a hair up my butt sometime in the next year or so and remember it, <laughs> if you try to see if I can figure out the legal <laughs> instruction thing, it won't be anytime soon. And figure out why the uh, the buildings and the men will just randomly either float up into the air or down below the ground. That just sounds like a programming bug, like it was mentioned. Yeah, in the, in the and like I said, gravity, yeah. <laughs> if you're playing on the impossible uh, level and one of the guys floats down below the ground, you're hooped because there's no way you can either shoot it or get it. So that would be a fatal bug on the uh, um, impossible level. Right. Okay, Ken, before you reveal next week's game, um, okay. I just wanted to ask you something. I've, I've asked you in Discord, and I, you probably just missed it or maybe didn't reply, but um, I had a request for a certain company's games because we have an interview coming up. Yep. Have, have I you have had the, a chance to do that yet? I have not had a chance to do that. Okay, but you got the message. Okay, I just yeah, want to make sure. I got the message. I just okay. am too lazy to actually do that because, you know. That's the, the worst cabin. teaser spoiler I've ever done, but there's an interview coming up that involves games. <laughs> 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 yes, somebody... It's, it, we're not saying they're involved with the cocoa, but there's games involved. <laughs> yeah. 
you can tell it's not the the nitrous nine one because that wasn't well i guess alan has wrote games and bill's ported games and i've wrote a few yeah okay maybe <laughs> no it's not it though anyway go ahead actually i was going to ask you if you have a list of the games that that person has done so i could check um I think there's a website somewhere that has this all listed. Yeah, it's probably not complete, though. Uh, <laughs> well, that, too. I, I'll, um, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm also too lazy to go back through all the games and see who wrote each one. <laughs> I think we need a Shanghai OS9 Shanghai competition. <laughs> yeah. Well, or Dexter or Smash. Or there's a few games there you can play. Plus, Rescue and Frack, plus Colonel's Rift. There's a ton. Oh, we already played Dexter, so that was a Smash. The OS9 version, though? Not the OS 9 version. Where you can adjust the speed faster or slower if you want to make it more challenging. Yes, yes, yes. Let's do that one. Put it in the queue, Ken. Put it in the queue. Uh, after after the re... Um, after the... Uh, when we wrap it around and we're done all 1,000, 1,200, yeah. 1,500 games. Maybe so. after we're, we're, we need to uh, revisit something. All right. Well, let's take a look at what next week's game is going to be. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. Oh, this is uh, M.G. Lustig, the same guy that did Moonhopper. Except this is one of the ones he did through his own company, Arcade Animation, Inc. Cooking something? And I'm giving clues here so somebody else can maybe try to do it. It's a clone of an arcade game. The ice cream cone is a dead giveaway as to what game that is. No, I was thinking Burger Time, but, you know. Burger yeah. Time without any of the... Um, ladders. Or ladders <laughs> and uh, burgers. platforms. Burgers. Well, I thought I thought it was something to do with pies. This is the game. Food War. Yep. One of two food based games that MG Lustig did through his own company. And we're playing it on the. uh, I guess that would be the easiest level, the furthest over. The far left is the easiest, far right is the hardest. Actually, it's not so much it's, you know, easiest to hardest. That's a start level, like which you want to start on the level A, level B, level C. Okay. So. Now, hey, do you know what game this is a clone of? Food Fight. Okay. Want to make sure, because that's the arcade game, or it's been ported to numerous other systems if you want to. As, as uh, discussing it with Sloopy last night, I don't remember that game from the arcade, but apparently it was a twin stick shooter, kind of like Robotron. Oh, God, I haven't played the arcade game in decades. I don't remember what it had for controls. Well, you said you had two controllers, one for moving, one for firing. I'll take a look on Clove. I, I don't honestly remember that, but I, I don't honestly remember. I only played the only one of arcades had it briefly. Like, I don't remember even playing it that often. I remember seeing it. I don't remember it at all from my days in the arcades. So, so this is Coco 1, 2, and maybe 3? I'm pretty uh, sure it runs on the three. I think I've tried it on the three. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how many games we can find that won't run on the Coco 3. <laughs> yeah. It's a joystick-based game. It's uh, Coco 1 and 2 with, I think, 32K. I don't think it runs on 16. Unless maybe you have the cassette version. It might. Hey, we have a new viewer. Atari Hotel. New Coco 2 original Model 1 owner. Cool. Welcome, oh. Atari Hotel. Yeah, we've had a couple game. sneak in on the panel here. <laughs> oh, who joined Michael us there? Michael Furman has joined us. And Jason Reichert. Well, hi, Mike. Been a while since you've been on. 
Okay, so Food War is Coco 1, 2, or 3 with 32K RAM and joystick. I don't know if those ever got poured to the Dragon. Uh, Karen will have to let us know in the chat there. They definitely sh should have been able to run. Of course, they'd have the stripey colors unless you change the P mode from 4 to 3. But Buck Owens is saying the original arcade game version, he says, I think the stick was something unique like a 49-way stick or analog. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, welcome, Jason. Welcome, Mike. Mikey. Howdy, howdy. You're late, Jason. I'm late? What, like a couple weeks late? A couple months. I <laughs> uh, know. I'm gone for a couple weeks. Hello. I'm actually here. Yeah, actually, we, oh, we can actually branch into West. you here because you're, you're actually a, somewhere special at the moment, aren't you? That's a good I look am. for you, Mikey. I need to, uh, I need to uh, flip around here. But uh, what am I looking at? Oh, an, no, you guys, you guys don't want to look at an NCDX term. No, no, no but you I should use... tell us first where you are and what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm at uh, VCF West right now. So, and that's being held where? California. It's being held in uh, Mountain View, California at the uh, Computer History Museum. Cool. So this is what we're looking at here. It's a little board. This is the, the precursor to the Coco. This is a Motorola 6800 uh, development uh, board. And uh, this guy has a whole really cool display about the generation before the Coco. It's really does interesting. That in does that include the VDG? Because that did come out before the Coco, I think in 77 or 78 or well, something. Well, I, I haven't looked at this demo, but uh, he actually has a VDG demo over here. Um, oh, yeah, I recognize the screen there. It's a cocoa. On the screen? It is not a cocoa. Where is the VDG? The Where is the VDG chip here? Okay, VDG chip is inside here. Right, sixty. So I'm I'm live. Uh, they have a cocoa uh, color computer podcast, and I'm showing them your table and going, "Well, this is the stuff that existed before the cocoa." Yep. I they can't they can't really hear you, but so yeah, uh, that's a demo of a uh, VDG. Um, I, what kind of CPU does it have? Uh, 6808 CPU, it says. Not 6809. Interesting. 6808, I'm trying to remember, is that an 09 based or an 03 based style? Or, or like 03. It's a microcontroller <clears throat> style one. Has, it? has two simulators and one 16-bit X. Type in CLS9, see if it gives you a Microsoft. <laughs> the Heathkit Heath Hero 1 robot uses 6808. Is, um, is it 6808 or 68,008? Uh, no, not in the in the 70s. Let me, no. let me poke again. It this is uh, oh, he actually he actually has it here. Yeah, 6808, 6808 CPU. Yeah, a 6802 without with the RAM, extra RAM no on board. RAM. It's a six, yeah. They're, they're, six debating, they're debating whether VDG. this is 68, 6800 or 6809 based. That's more of a 6800. It's 6800, yeah. Sorry does for interrupting. Have, does it have basic? <laughs> that guy's booth was obviously pretty interesting. Looks and more like a monitor, just a debug monitor. I found somebody we know. Say hi to Coco Talk. Oh, hey. They can't hear you, but uh, here's Brendan Donahue. Brendan. And uh, hey, Coco Brendan. PGA. Uh, he's even got some MC10s. So. 
the Coco BJ. I'll, I'll come. I'll come. I'll come back later when I'm not on Coco Talk. You guys. Oh, that's not. You guys have any that's questions that. for Brendan? Want him to stand on his head? Uh, do cartwheels? Anything? No. Ask him if he's sending okay. my VG6 uh, pictures to um, display. Ron, Ron is talking about the, the graphics screens that he, that he does using the Coco VGA, which those are pretty cool. Does he have any? Yeah, he's got, he's, he's got a demo. Maybe I'll come back. I'll come back later. Great. Yeah. Does anybody know what this is? A Coco 2. Taco Bot. I've seen that before. Does it make tacos? Well, I haven't had lunch yet, so that, that, that I don't know Tetris what I, I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing over here. <laughs> that is Tetris stuff. Maybe <laughs> I, I'm actually live on uh, Coco Talk, and uh, none of us oh, know I what see. we're you're, doing you're every day. To, you're you, make, you make tacos. It's spelled taco. You see, right? So well, I didn't it's spell like Tetris taco. with taco. It's like right. Tetris with tacos. <laughs> yeah. Oops, you left. Didn't leave room for the A. Mm. <laughs> so whose booth is that, Mikey? I think his game needs uh, a spell what's, check. What? What's your? Uh, what's your name? Player needs spell check. Steve Look, Toner. Look, STC. Have Steve you, what? Uh, Steve Toner. Have you? No. Uh, have you been on? Do you know about Coco Talk? I do not. You do not. Uh, I will. I will come back and uh, I will tell you about it because okay. I'm. It's a. A pod weekly uh, YouTube show about the color computer. So, if you since you have color computer stuff, you'll probably be interested in it. Okay. Look at old Mikey recruiting there. Thank yeah. you for that oh, bit yeah. of advertising. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> can, hey. can I talk to you more about the Coco Talk? Six eight eight oh nine. So it's a one and a half megahertz six eight oh nine. Beautiful Ooh. ceramic. Ceramic, yes. Wow, they actually well, have a, a picture of the 6809 die. That's pretty cool. Old computer's huh. here. <laughs> Was here. Ah, uh, this book. I recognize I that I'm, book. I remember this book, too. Uh, I, I remember I the one to the left of it. I have the one on the left, actually, in hardcover, yeah. just like that. Tab yeah, books. I have that, too. Documentation. Tab books, and then, the company that published ones nobody else would. <laughs> Right, and then here's the, uh, the original bike uh, articles. Right, this are these articles. You know, I recently uh, recently reread these uh, articles. These articles are amazing, actually. How much detail they go into, actually show you what kind of things they had to go through in the 1970s to make a make a you know CPU. A, a chip. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. also got to see pictures of the people and got the names, so you know who they were. All done by hand. Yep. I just yep. turned around here. And Looks large, like we have large floor. This ought to be a sixty-eight thousand something of VME board. Yep. Yeah, VME bus. I recognize those cards. Does Aren't it make noise? Like phone switches or something? Yeah, what? VME. Are the Aren't fans making noise? VME. Well, uh, when they did sixty-eight thousand, uh, Motorola came up with the uh, VME bus uh, as a standard. You know as a standard way to uh, interface to the 68,000 system. So while, Mark, while this may look like a switch, this one is probably actually set up uh, as a computer. Uh, I would guess uh, somewhere, one of these is a CPU board. Yeah. Then they have like SCSI, serial, 
looks like they have uh, so it'll have be like the multi-user things. Multi-user so system. this this was this was probably actually the com- this is actually the computer, not not the you know not like a switch, but mm-hmm. I think some of the early. Uh, just, just very, very briefly, uh, what, what, what CPU, what architecture is this computer, and uh, what, what, what was it used for? Are they all sixty-eight thousand? Power PC, eighty-eight thousand. Wow. That's oh, a risk Another? chip. So you have a deck alpha. So this is a little bit later. This is not uh, this is not sixty eight thousand. This is this is after that. The eighty eight thousand series. Eighty eight thousand was nicer than Sorry, the last PC. One? Eight. Oh, oh, uh, HP. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so H- HP risk. HP risk probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. And what was this system used for? Oh, okay. So this. So all right. So these are a whole bunch, an array of different VME, uh, different VME boards, and just, just, just to show. Okay. So this is not. Okay. Cool. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. That is a look at my collection. <laughs> yeah. They they said that. Looks like they, they work said, too. Yeah, they said that they're going to uh, power some of them up. Uh, have more sun stuff. I haven't even looked at anything. I just I just want to mention on the VME bus, uh, our flexographic press at work, and Bill Noble, if he's watching, will remember this was actually an OSK 2.3 system on a VME bus with six to eight thousand. Yeah. So press press operations. Gonna, so nice. I'm just gonna walk around and. Uh, I got your uh, bus right over here. If you guys see anything interesting. Uh, <laughs> Commodore, really? Yeah. What's, Actually, what's, Leonard Trammell is supposed to speak uh, this weekend. What's this board? Mini, Mini pet. pet. Looks like somebody did a pet and uh, hardware. So that's the, that's the new uh, pet hardware that's been released. It's the clone board of the original pet. Mm. Two years ago. Fresno Commodore used to grow up. Uh, uh, yeah. I have to, I, whoops, I have to pick this. Sorry, I dropped something. I have to pick this up. I'm not going to join, but I may join. I may join their email if they have a forum or email list or something. I may join just for one of their grins, uh, right? One of their principals is on Atari Age a lot of times. His name is uh, Robert, I think. You didn't see a pet there with a 6809 in it, huh? Uh, Super no, pet. There, there is a whole pet row, uh, which is uh, closer to the entrance. Uh, I completely, I completely skipped it. <clears throat> Uh, I can make my way if you guys want to walk along with me. I can make sure. my way back there. Looks That's like B- we have. BBC. I think I'll just BBC sit here while you walk. Yeah, <laughs> that looks like an Apple One. Uh no. Nope. Oh, Pong oh, game. Oh, the original Pong from '72. Uh, the original Pong game. All yeah. those yeah. chips for a Pong game. Yep. Yes. That's all TTL. Jeez. No CPU. What's this? TTL. Yep. TTL. What's this? Is this designed by Waz or was it Alan Bushnell? I think it was Bushnell. Uh, Waz did like a reduced chip version that they couldn't ever reproduce, but it did have much, much less logic. I don't like this show. 
Ooh. <laughs> There's Ebron Burner. Uh, this is some kind of uh, probably 8080 computer here. Have a lot of a lot of this really like odd stuff. If you guys have been watching my YouTube channel, it's exactly the kind of stuff I've been playing with in just in emulation. Ooh, like SWTPCs and all those. Right. I'm working my I'm working my way up to uh, 6809. Hi. Oh, we're doing oh. Uh, we're doing a TDD. Portable terminals. Someone someone called the president on the red phone. I prefer the model 100 screen myself, but. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's typing he's typing to us. That's cool. I'm on. I'm live on a podcast right now, and so uh, do you want to say hello, Coco Talk? Uh, I, only, I only have one hand. What do you want to do with your other hand? Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Sixty says, "Do any of these get me, Batman?" <laughs> oh, I okay. didn't type it right. You spelled Coco Talk wrong. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, there we go. There you go. And you got to put G at he's the end gonna, of the line. He's going to type something else. <laughs> so would these have been old enough these be running at that, like, 75 baud rate? Well, yes. You mean WeFax is faster than that? You can, you can do older. Like, the original ones, were the pre-300 ran at, like, 75, 110, right. you know, that you kind can, of baud rate. You can do 300 on an acoustic couple like that with the, you know, bell phones. So... Yeah, but the original modems didn't. They went slower than that. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on here. It sounds it sounds like uh, my uh, my personal speed, but uh, I don't think it's Coco Talk. Some kind of old stuff. Uh, more. There's a lot of sun stuff here today. There's a lot a lot of actual. Uh, we can get back to the pets over here. Wait, a is that a Vectrix? Is that a Vectrix to your left? Over here? Yeah. No. Oh, geez. I thought it was looked like it. That's the weirdest looking Vectrex I've ever seen. Well, it just was a quick glance. C64 improved. Uh, it's one of those. Uh, Some uh, modern taken must, C64. It must have a 6809 in it. No. Improved. Probably an FPGA and it's probably emulated. Yeah. Uh, Did they have a super pet there with the uh, 6809 in it? Uh, they, I believe... Uh, let, I believe they do. Uh, uh, we'll just. Uh, Ooh, oh, oh model one. There we go. Look at yeah, this poor guy. Uh, oh, man. Is the keyboard intact at least? It looks like it is. Yeah. Looks like it's, it's savable. Like, it's like most of my Cocos. I can Alice. just take the lid off without the screws. Oh, yeah. Alice. Alice, Alice. Alice, they're going to give me a red MC10. MC10, MC10, ah. Uh. Yeah, 32 then, uh, is the one with the more advanced oh, chips. Is that a 102? Yeah. Yeah, the oh. 32 could do 80 columns and stuff. Dragon, dragon. It's like a 32K dragon. Oh, 64. Nope, 64. Is that a Tano or a regular dragon? No, it's not a Tano. No, no, no. It actually, it actually says Tano dragon on it. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. Coco C, not doing very much. Well, you should you should fix that, Mikey. <laughs> Get him hooked up. 
Uh -oh. Please give it an alt control reset. Uh, it doesn't look like we're doing, doesn't look like we're set up properly here. What do you guys think? The, yeah, it looks like there's a config file a little bit off. With the three guys on it. Too bad there's never a Cocoa person around when you need one. Is there an uh, SD card yeah, plugged into it? Uh, doesn't look like it. There's your uh, problem. Yeah, that might problem. cause problems. <laughs> that, that'll do it every time, trust me. Andy um, 1000, 1000? PC Jr. Yep. Uh, here's a, some kind of a Heath kit. Uh, says H8. So, Mikey, that last set of Coco 3 and Dragon and stuff there, whose booth was that? Uh, this, that guy, that guy over there, he's, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, he's talking to somebody right now. Uh, I'll have to come back. He's been at VCF uh, the last couple of times, VCF West the last couple of times. All right. So, Front door. I'm going to zoom, I'm going to zoom ahead here. We're looking for a super pet. And it looks like we have. A pet 2001. Ah, yeah. That's what the one I used that? in that school. That was a ray one. Yeah. And uh, the stupid I, little keyboard. Yep. With a tiny I space had, bar. But at least it a, was a real computer. We had a science museum uh, here in the Bay Area called the um, Lawrence Hall of Science. It's uh, up in the Berkeley Hills. It's still, it's still there. But I remember going there with my dad and just pounding, pounding away on this stupid chiclet keyboard. You know, I wasn't... I probably could have figured out how to program it in basic, but notice uh, a little uh, bar to hold the lid, uh, case up. Oh yeah, I love here. That. <laughs> it's a little bar, like a hood, <laughs> just like a hood on the car. <laughs> and then the uh, this is this is a 2040 uh, disk system with a whole another 6502 in it. Mm -hmm. And then I have to walk around these people. By the way, this is the main entrance to the hall right here to the right. Right. This this is the this is the main entrance. I just I just skipped by it because I was actually looking for uh, uh, Brandon Donahue, and I I wound up at that uh, 6800 booth. So 4032, 8032 with uh, did somebody did somebody kill this? Looks like somebody did the killer poke, or it's actually mm. broken. No. Is this is this actually broken, or did somebody do the, or did somebody do the killer poke? Is this susceptible to the killer poke? Yeah, okay, hey, it just wasn't working. Yeah, super pet. There it is. And then there. here's your super pet. So, Waterloo. Waterloo. Waterloo something basic. Waterloo. Loading basic. The disk drive is disking. Can't hear it. But it's still loading. Yeah, because there's a version of OS 9 for this uh, particular computer. So Level 1. Right. While uh, while ba while basic is loading, you guys can can look at the uh, yeah University of Waterloo in Canada in Ontario. Right, yeah. it's still loading. How long That's do you typical of a Commodore disk drive, isn't it? It takes days to load something. Come back no, this these afternoon. Are, these are yeah. IEEE drives. They're pretty fast compared oh, to the. There it is. Uh, looks looks like uh, something's not uh, right here. Air loading file. Well, I tried, I tried loading uh, basic, and it sat and sat and um, uh, ran the disk for a while, and then uh, it said error loading file. Okay, well, we'll have.
I guess it does have its own CPU. Okay, he's got he's got it uh, he's got it running on this other one. I so, wonder if they ever had amber or white. They had white for sure. Ours was uh, one of ours was white. I don't know about amber. Oh, and then. Valley uh, Arcade. Yeah, the Astrocade. Yeah. I, I read about this system uh, fairly uh, fairly recently. So. And then uh, looks like we have a uplifter. And a two. Yeah, but uh, this this is not the PC Junior running. This is actually the Apple, right? Uh, yeah. The Coco top lifter. Coco joystick. Could yeah, well, Backbit is that yeah. one we've covered where the, it actually is a universal card adapter. You can uh, that, get those little plugins yeah. to run on a whole bunch of different 8-bit machines. Yeah. Uh, this thing is, this is a Tectonics terminal. Huh. Yeah. Tectonics graphics terminal. Graphics workstation. Paul Barton graphics would love computer. to watch that. Graphics workstation. We got a 16-bit CPU, 64K of memory. Yeah. 64, I mean, it uses for like doing CAD and stuff, or Basic, just yeah. graphics, plotting things. 6800. Oh, that's that. No. That screen. Oh, this 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 is this is interesting here. He's got a GPIB uh, cable, uh, and uh, he's just got a uh, Arduino. Uh, uh, Pro or something like that on there with an SD card, so that's his disk drive yep. uh, to replace this uh, this tape drive, I guess. And, so. and so since the micro SD has so much capacity, yeah, I can put all the tapes I've recovered in more. Okay, well, uh, there's a couple more things. Uh, anything, anything really interesting? You want to find out who this guy with the Poco Three is? Yeah, and just model. make sure they know they're aware of Cocoa Talk because we'd like to have some of these people on. I think later on, sometime. was that a model one one thousand over on the other table? Yeah, I think uh, it was. Yeah, there was yeah, a one thousand. Yeah, there's a there's next tier next to the PC Junior. Yeah, is a, a regular one thousand, and then oh, PC Junior. You don't see the PC Junior sidecars very often. No. Nah. And you also don't see the PC Junior. I'm just going to unplug this. IBM cartridge yeah. game game cart. Yeah, I know. I know. We had we had uh, PC Juniors uh, in our computer lab at elementary school, uh, but we always just played uh, King's Quest on it. <clears throat> you plug them in after before you turn it on. So, I know. I know we've uh, met before. Uh, I don't. I don't remember your name, but uh, Mikey. Yes, and I'm uh, live on Coco Talk. Do you know about Coco Talk? You do? Okay. So I'm showing them uh, what we have Why here at, uh, at VCF West. So a uh, question. Uh, do you know that your Coco 3 is missing an SD card? Your Coco 3 over there is missing an SD card. There's no, there's no, nothing to load on it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I won't bother you then. Uh, you're going to... 
uh, yes, we I showed them the Dragon 64. They wondered if it was a Tenno. I said, nope, this is this is the this is the real deal. So cool. I, I I'll come back when I'm not on here. I can talk a little more and let you let you set up. Yeah, he's he's really in the middle of setting up. Ask him if that Model One works. Uh, Mark, are you are you are you in your chair? Yeah, I'm still here. Apple Two. Okay, number ten. Number ten. Uh. Donated by Wozniak. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's no case. Back back in the early days, you could buy the board without the case. And do your own case. Uh, Six hundred sixty-six dollars and sixty-six cents. Do you mind that if was I the Apple One. So I can take that was the Apple of One. Oh, right, that right, was right. Apple One. It, yeah, these has, were a little a bit more. There we go. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll close it when I'm done, okay? So the, the light green slots like that, that indicates the early series, Rev Zero board. First one's out. Yeah. They only have four colors, too. They don't have the, don't have six like the later ones. This, oh, see, this prototyping looks, area in the bottom left yeah, corner Yeah, prototyping area there. That was removed after all the other board revisions, yeah. but the early ones had so that. This, from, what, from what I remember, this motherboard, it, is the original Apple II, is this the same layout? As the production one, or is this different? Oh no, it's same. This is this is called a Rev Zero board. <laughs> it's yeah. a production one. It's a production one, but it's number ten. Yeah, she says it's a production one, but it's number ten. Mark, yeah. you're saying about the green slots? Yeah, the light green. The very first, uh, like first six thousand or so, I'll have light green slots. Later on, they'd have dark green or black. But yeah, that's how you usually tell it's a light green slots. It's an early one, very early one. Oh wow! Uh, she said that uh, that. Uh, Dan, oh, they're gonna fire this up up to a pop. They said that Dan Putke, uh, one of the one of the uh, yep. early Apple employees, actually actually yep. built this one. Take a Good look at this keyboard. Yep. Keyboard for the Apple One. Oh, for the Apple One. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mikey, is this cool. is this Liza Loop? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark. Is this Liza Loop? Liza Loop? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, she's an early Apple um, educator. She used the Apple One and the Apple Two. Okay, I'm, I'm on a uh, live uh, podcast and the guy asked if you were Liza Loop and yeah, I looked him. Okay, yep. So she's got the, the, the Apple, uh, early Apple Two, so. Yep. And is it yours? Apple One number one? <laughs> What about that? Uh, what about that uh, prototype that recently showed up? The one that's that has the corner. Oh, I have guys. I have to show you the Apple. Not this. This Apple one. She, Lisa is telling me that uh, unfortunately there's a glare because of the uh, because of the lighting. But uh, this is apparently Apple one number one. Awesome. The first one. Oh, thank you. I'll give him a hundred dollars for it. I might cover the heat sink, Nick. I think that's a hard no. <laughs> we'll actually owns this. Loop Center Eight. So Loop Center Eight actually owns this. Getting closer. They're 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 joking on the on the podcast. They're like, "Oh, I'll give you a hundred dollars." No, I'll give you two. And like, ha ha! Very very funny. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot the comma zero 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 after that price is what happened. There. <laughs> All right, guys. Exactly. I, I, have, Ooh, I have to show you. I have one thing I have to show you. Uh, this came up uh, very recently in a video 
You guys see this? Have you seen this? RR. This I is an Apple One prototype, which, uh, from what I heard, this prototype uh, was in Steve Jobs had it, and uh, he decided that uh, you know there's, <clears throat> I guess there's some debate on, you know, obviously he probably took some of the chips for something else, but there's some debate about what happened to the rest of the circuit board. Have you? Have you figured out anything more about what happened to the rest of the circuit board? <clears throat> Did he break it because he didn't? He thought it wasn't useful or what? Don't know. Somebody dropped it. Or... Yeah, they don't. They they don't know. Is this by the way? Is this option is this option active right now? Yes. Okay. I'm I'm just I'm just uh, I'm just curious. So where is it happen to be at? Uh, it's kind of Austin, but it's online only. Hmm. No, I mean uh, price. So this this Apple One circuit board. I'm live on the podcast for a completely different computer, TRCD color computer. This Apple One prototype is currently on auction, and it is four hundred and seventy thousand dollars right now wow. for this. Not bad for trash. It's not just any. It's not just any trash. It's Steve Jobs. Trash. Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak. Apple rare dumpster diving pay. Yeah. For people, go ahead, Mark. For for people who don't know, circuit boards are that uh, yellow color. The reason why they're green or some other colors because they put solder mask on. So when you're doing prototypes a lot of time, you don't worry about the solder mask. You just get the boards made, and they're kind of that goldish color. And then you can build your stuff and test them. And then when you get the actual production ones, then you get them green or black or red or whatever. Yeah. So four hundred and so so guys, uh, we we have a lot of a uh, lot of cocos to sell to get the uh, four hundred seventy five thousand dollars. This is I figure Nick will just give up some of his Lamborghini oh. or his Ferraris. Uh, he's <laughs> he's he's holding it up. Oh, we can actually see the back. It should be cheaper because it's broken. It's still broken <laughs> on the back. <laughs> oh look, oh, at there's, not, there's bodge wires. Really, it's it's really rare. Wires. Look yeah. at there's bodge wires. <laughs> Can you guys see the bodge wires? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's yes. worth something. 30AWG. I wonder what other kind of stuff they got from this garbage can. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Penny Whistle Modem. See this? This is yeah. an instruction manual for a Penny Whistle Modem. Uh, I actually met uh, Lee Felsenstein a few times here at VCF. Few other places, so Lee Felsenstein actually designed this penny whistle modem, and this one on. is also this is also on auction right now, and uh, it's uh, an original. Is this is this penny whistle kit completely unbuilt? So it's just Ooh. it's just a box a box of parts, and it has uh, Lee Felsenstein's uh, instructions. Imagine back in the day you'd buy this because it's so much cheaper than getting a complete one and put it together yeah. yourself. Ever really? Uh, this is who's who's this guy? I think we all Mr. know. Mr. Bill Gates. <laughs> so what is that it's radio? Like a model one hundred. Yeah, it's what it See, like it's got a model one hundred. So this uh, I, I got that this uh, property, of property of Microsoft. M100 number 10, and there's a note that says, I don't need this any, anymore. It is Microsoft property. 
I am going to start using the model 100. Okay, fine. 200. Model 200. Model 200. Okay, two. Yeah, 1986. <laughs> so, so is that the is, one in the picture? Uh, in his hands? I can I can ask if they know, but uh, he's showing he's showing the Apple one to somebody. So this is of course uh, our our option, and uh, if you guys, go, I, I saw. Uh, video about this one a couple of the Apple one a couple of days ago you know these these items and of course um, Mark uh, curious Mark uh, who's been doing all of like the Apollo stuff they've been yeah. getting some mm -hmm. of their hardware also from RR options so hopefully this doesn't cool. mean railroad uh, here's your hint <laughs> rare and remarkable All right, so uh, Apple stuff, Apple stuff. There's more stuff uh, outside in the hallway. They have Macintosh. analog computers. They have portable Macintosh. Newton. Newton. Uh, oh, teammates. Um, and then we're back at uh, 6,800. What, so no Coleco Adams? I have not seen any. Okay, well... Uh, you guys want to see more i can walk out into the hallway so do and, they have uh, an announcements every once in a while overhead whoops Wait, some more yeah i think i think they have uh they have announcements every once in a while so yeah ron wants you to you know, live stream the WeFax seminar yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll uh, let me let me just quickly show you guys uh, this thing. Uh, stealth computers, right there. I missed that. It was the point. Now this is a real computer. A link takes part of a wall. Probe interface. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think is going on here? Can you uh, reprogram the computer by uh, changing the putting wires in here? I don't know. Oh, probes. Bet it's based I on Octal. Six switches. There's a, there's a screen, yeah. Keep drives. So what brand is that? Uh, this is probably, uh, you can see what it says. No, link. So this is all. This is all part of uh, Link. Link, okay. Okay. Link. Link would have been a project. Uh, I don't know if it's specifically Link, of uh, Link, Link Deck, but, but digital. Uh, the, the, the MIT laboratory. Link, Lincoln Laboratories, probably. Right. It says, it says digital down there, like. Uh, yes. Digital equipment. Okay. Yeah. Deck. Okay. Deck. Link. Okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, they're all the same player. area. I'm sorry, guys. All the same area. Yeah, some, something is being uh, something is being brought in over here. Maybe it was purchased, but I wanted to take you guys over here. <clears throat> actually, oh, IBM Portable. Uh, IBM Mac PS2 Model P70. Yeah, portable. Mac 70. Portable. I saw the Mac Portable. I'm like, I have to show you guys this. My, I remember, you know, uh, my friend and I in grade school were having a. <laughs> You know, talking about the portable computers, we were talking about the Mac Portable, 
Then here's a compact portable. Yep, one of the first PC portables. This is like a lunchbox style, complete with a five and a quarter floppy. Probably weighs about 30 pounds. I had a compact one. Then uh, it's a big, <clears throat> big Mac, isn't it? Yeah. That Quicksilver yeah. Mac there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, this one is a Power Mac 9000. Power yep. PC, yep. We'd like a server or a workstation. <laughs> PowerBook. PowerBook. Cube. Mac. SC30. We have the circuit board repair corner here is the um, ultrasonic cleaner. Another modded Mac, but uh, looks like uh, working on a Mac motherboard here. Yeah. You see any fish tank Macs? <laughs> <laughs> Those were big back in the and 2000s. This, this also, uh, we can we can see the screen, but we can also see the, the live view. Nice. This is Looks like another map motherboard. Is he burning his hair? No, he knows Using, better. Yeah, they're they're much more skilled. <laughs> he than actually I. knows what he's Using doing. Using hot tweezers you're to gonna, uh, lift the part off the board. You're gonna fire it up. He doesn't hold the uh, soldering iron with it. With his fingers the proper way. <laughs> like well, the stock they're photos. Hot, they're yeah. hot tweezers. Yeah. Hot tweezers, yeah. And the part just went in the bin. Good stuff. <laughs> See, hot should tweezers for me just means I can melt my hair twice as fast. Should I, should I type <laughs> uh, Coco Tacos here? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. As I said, there are a couple more things out in the hallway. Uh, I haven't even made it to like the consignment center. Oh, it looks like Basic finally loaded on the uh, Super Pet because somebody is here typing away on it. Looks super. Looks like a pretty good size show. Uh, so in previous years they haven't had anything. Uh, this is like the main hallway. Uh, normally at, uh, at uh, other VCF, uh, they haven't had anything here. In the past so, five years or so now. Yep. So they have this whole row of analog computers, which uh, I still don't think I completely uh, understand what's going on with them. But uh, they have like operational amplifiers and stuff, and you can wire them together to make uh, different <laughs> kinds of... Uh, Mathematical equations and other weird, other weird arcane stuff. Here's another one. Car system it's suspension voodoo. simulation. My, uh, I just look, I just look at the equation and it's like, woo, okay, uh, differential equations. Uh, bye, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some more. You want me to do math? Yeah. Uh, I, I did not do very well in my differential equations class. Well, I, I had a challenge too, but I, I, I copied some problems out of textbooks. Uh huh, right. Uh, something to put on the analog computer, right? He said he copied the problems out of uh, textbooks. Uh, so, this thing is some kind of uh, single board computer thing. 
pretty much helps you. There's no punch card computers there? I have to go downstairs. Oh, there's and more? They, they have, well, no, into the, in the actual museum. Oh. The actual museum, they have the IBM, of, what is it, 1402 computer, just mm -hmm. uh, literally about downstairs from where I am right now in this hallway. Uh, no, uh, it's, it's in the other corner over there. Have some kind of uh, military computer teletypey thing. Military radio teletype. Nukem. What, what's playing there? And then portable computers, uh, Minitel. Is there a, is there a Minitel server somewhere? You're gonna try. You're actually gonna try to set up a mini tile server. Uh, that's pretty cool. When you know, uh, have Atari this lonely ST, Atari. Like. Yeah, don't have much uh, much Atari love this time. Last time uh, they had uh, Atari, so uh, looks. Looks like he's doing controller type projects. Check out that big chip. Which one? Big chip on the table there. Bull chip. Bull <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, definitely, definitely have enough Macintoshes to last a lifetime. What do you guys think? <laughs> More than yeah. enough. No fish tanks, though, huh? That's pretty awesome. cool. That's for jail. <laughs> there's, there's been this trend with apples to have uh, translucent cases. They have them for the Apple IIs, uh, IIes, and the Macintoshes. So. This one is pretty cool. So all those Macintoshes were um, Motorola's, huh? Yes, that's they're right. either yeah, 68,000 or 88,000. Yeah. yeah, and the earliest chip Raskin prototypes from 81 were 6809. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd rather hear that. Need a real-time <laughs> clock, please. No, wait, this is just an alarm clock. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Original Macintosh uh, accessories. Some of that uh, sales material the Apple stores would get, the posters yep. and the like, the lighted uh, display. Are they selling any Apple shoes or shirts? Or? <laughs> There's a line for something over here. I don't know what this line over here is. Might be the uh, bathroom. I, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is there a buffet? No. no. I, I walked in. It's a museum. I actually walked in. I actually walked in today through the back door instead of going through the front of the museum. And uh, so uh, I saw this line. I didn't know what it was. Anyway, books, books, books. I didn't see any really interesting, any books that are really that interesting here. There's a couple of interesting programming books. These for sale? These, these books are all for sale. Uh, see programmers? Oh, I have that one. I have that one. Yeah, I see a fourth one there. Joe Campbell. Right. It covers uh, K-Pro, Z80, and IBM PC. I have that see on the how good, See how good Mark's memory is. 
I studied it intensively because I wrote an IBM terminal program using references in that book. Hmm. And then uh, this this uh, fourth book, I never I never Ooh. really did learn fourth very well, but uh, this book here is of course the Bible. You know, the we Bible should, for fourths. We should interview Mark Overholzer for one of our shows. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's got an interesting. I don't, I don't know if we're going to be able to get him. He's uh, we have to go through his. If what what is this line for? Pretty sure it's for the um, consignment room. Wait a second. This is a line to get into the consignment room, not just to look oh, at stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> Holy jeez. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Mac Mac hooked well, up. Well, I'm just toilet. I'm just gonna poke my head in there. I'm on a I'm on a podcast, oh, but <sighs> well, I may have to join the line eventually. <laughs> I'm going to ask if. Uh, there's any chance I could just take you guys inside the consignment room, but I think, yeah. I don't think we're going in here today because of this line. Tell them there's 700 people behind your phone. Consignment room is in there. And, uh, I don't think uh, I don't think I'm even going to get in there today. Those are the clothes for sale over there. Oh, there was something yeah. interesting. Free table. Scanners. Ooh, floppy drive. Ooh. <laughs> looks like a Mac Mac keyboard. Yeah, Macaulay third-party keyboard. It's, it looks like it's USB though. It's a jail keyboard. How about a floppy drive? I had it? one of those keyboards at work actually. One of our Macs. Three sixty K. I can't quite tell. There's no. No label here. on this. That really looks like one of them. Mitsubishi. Yeah, Mitsubishi. It's, it's Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi. Uh, MF504-362. Must be a 360K oh. dual side. Yeah, it's that'll going, be 360. It's it's going under my arm for the moment. I think you guys know what that means. <laughs> he stole it. You're going to get Frisca on the way out. These are free. This, this is the free table. Oh, so. It just means he's gonna get he's gonna get in trouble later for bringing it home to Mrs. Mrs. Furman. Is there an MC10 well, there? This uh, like this will fit this this will fit in the backpack. So um, he'll sneak it home. I don't have to say any, and it was free, so I don't think I have to say anything. Which part? <laughs> so get, uh, we're not gonna tell. There's one other room down here. You better hope she's not watching, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> You have a lot. This is Eric. He's one of the VCF West uh, planners. I'm on Coco Talk. Um, this is the line to the consignment room. We're, we're working on lowering the line. We had a couple of glitches this morning. Technical difficulties. Please stand uh, by. This line should be cleared in an hour. All right. I'll let you go, Eric. Good show so far. <clears throat> so, for those who don't know, the big VCFs, they put all the things for sale in the consignment room. They basically take a 15%. Uh, commission for show overhead. So everything gets sold, goes in there. Here's the uh, entrance booth, selling t-shirts, and uh, they said hi. Here's another free table. Uh, I picked up a cable from oh. here earlier. That's the other room. That's the other room that you have consignments in, too. I didn't see this box. Empty box. <laughs> it's but, free. Uh, you can put, your, put more free stuff in there. Yeah, should I put the floppy drive back down? No, I don't think so. I think I keep that. We're not going to tell. What is this? This looks like technical specification for monitor. This book was interesting. 
It's some kind of a uh, DeFry University. Uh, oh, Bell and Howell. And Bell and yeah. Howell, uh, you know, electronics course. Oh, yeah. This is this book electronics. Actually, looked pretty interesting. I might be able to learn something from this. What do you guys think? Uh, it's nineteen seventies. It? It's probably not relevant. Wait, it, those are ohms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you resistors. can take it, but resistors it might not are fit still resistors. Like what was a, that, Mark? Resistors it, are it's still resistors. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. They didn't repeal Holmes' law, did they? <laughs> you forgot to specify which Mark you were asking for there, Mikey. Oh. Well, Mark Mark B isn't really saying that much, so. So are these consignments or are these another display? What do you think? MTS 100. With the price on it. Mm. Oh, this, bucks, yeah. Did well, you find the back way into the consignment room? Well, this is a completely different room. Oh. This, they usually do consignments in this room, at least they did in 2019 and 2018. It seems like VCF West is so much bigger than yeah, it, uh, is. it was in, in previous, previous years. I think S100 it's cards. Uh, yep. Ooh, Anything interesting? Those are, an EPROM. Those are EPROM programmer. programmer. Yep. Here's Ooh. a Chromenko floppy disk controller. And this is a, let's see, where are we here? It's a little. GRS. Yeah. Is that? Is that uh, Backplane. Backplane. These look like some VME or probably VME motherboards, similar to what we saw earlier. They have, a nice, they have a nice picture on the wall. There you go. It's like a uh, press. Some kind of, uh, where's, where's uh, El, El Curtis? Yeah, it kind of does like a bit of a press or digital press. Yeah, it's like speed. a web, web press. High-speed printer or some kind of a high-speed press or something. Yeah, with roll paper. Cables, power supply. Any interesting cables? Hard to tell. Any real-time clocks? KVM buried in there. Yeah, I saw the KVM too. Portmaster modem, more S100. Mm -hmm. uh, I picked yeah, up... Yeah, um, modems. modems. Yeah. Holy jeez. I think I bought... I picked up a Hayes modem. Uh, we still have one or two, one electronic electronics store here. It's called uh, Anchor Electronics, and I picked up a Hayes modem. I think, I think it was like twenty or twenty-five dollars. And like, I have to take this home. I can't leave it here. I think I may have tried to put it down, and and I'm like, no, 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 it's coming home with me. And I have, no, I have it at home. How many yep. baht are those? Do you think they're they're like the old old ones? Are probably three hundred. Yeah. Yeah, a smart modem is either 300 or 1200. Maybe 300, 1200, yeah. I think, though, the smart modem 1200 said smart modem 1200 on them, so it's probably. Yeah, I, I believe they did. Yeah, they used their backs for a while, huh? So Hayes actually made a 300, 110, 300 modem that was on an S100 card. I actually have one. Came with my uh, North Star uh, um, Horizon system. Oh, yep. right there. I have speaking, one of those. Speaking North of Horizon. Star. Yeah, I have one like that. Which uh, one, like what? The North Star Horizon, right there. I have I have a chassis just like that. Uh, is, it, a, uh, is it eighty eighty or Z eighty? It's C eighty. So. Uh huh. Running CPM. Uh yeah, it, I've got a ton of discs. I haven't done anything with it. I got it a year or so ago, two years ago, year and a half ago. Laptops, laptops, laptops. Is that a Toshiba? Atari cartridges. 
An Atari. There's an Atari 400 with a, an mm -hmm. interesting uh, add-on. Chiclet keyboard rather than the they, membrane. But it has the so, space bar. So no, this, the, yeah, mm, see, they have that. Yeah, that's the, that's the what they come with. Keyboard, and that's then there's just, there's just this rubber sheet, and you just place this on top. So at least you have some, uh, some buttons that you can press. Yep, tactile. But uh, Coco, Coco keyboard is actually still better than this, to be completely <laughs> honest. I bet it is. Signal generators? Uh, where? Lasers. Uh, those things with the knobs there on the other side. Or are they uh, lasers? These are lasers. Oh, they're lasers. Yeah. Lasers. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Lasers. Uh, this, is, this, this one has the business. This is... This one we're looking at the business end, and then right. the other one we're looking at the control end. It's actually Hewlett Packard 550C Ooh. laser head. Those helium neon lasers then, or California Association for Research in Astronomy? Some, in astronomy, interesting. Probably pointed it out of the observatory. Printers, printers, printers. See, I, I think I, okay, I think, I think my parents, my parents' house, I have a printer kind of like this one. I don't know if it's uh, operational. Ooh, I had one of those. Color, color one. Part of a floppy track. drive. Nine track tape. I got a, yeah, nine track tape. Hey, I recognize those. I got a whole floppy drive for free. Why do I want to take the partial one? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there's some test equipment here. HP function generator. Rack mountable. And then power supply, model 722AR. And uh, here's some uh, Nixie tubulators. Channel A. Probably frequency generators again. Cables generator. on this table, $1. They are SCSI cables. SCSI cables. <laughs> uh, they'll clean up okay. <laughs> Uh, I I really don't think I need more. So there's a little bit more stuff here. There's a row that we didn't go down. Like that? Nope. Looks like right. So I have a tower PC for $5. Dell? Dell. And then what's XT this thing? Chassis? Looks like an XT computer. Who's, uh, well, it's got, it's got a little teeny, got a little teeny motherboard in here. Uh, I don't Might think it's an plane. XT. <laughs> no, it's plane. not. It's, no? it's not a backplane. There's actually a motherboard in here. Oh, okay. As yeah. you can see, there's actually a motherboard in there. Like so a 286. It's, it's 286. Oh. It's got uh, full size ISA slots. Data systems design, DSD, whatever, whatever. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, leading edge. Mm-hmm. It could be. Yeah, PC. We're, do PC we're doing Hello XT. World here. It's got to be the original PC or XT, one of the others. Uh, this one, this one is a uh, 400, 350, 170. Does that have a flip top case? No. No, the, the, uh, PC, no. the PC cases they have uh, five screws on the back, and then the whole thing yeah. slides forward towards. I got the top. one that it, it's a flip top with a hinge. I used to work at a computer lab where they had PCs and XTs, and we took them apart every quarter and dusted them out. Wow. 1802 CPU. Oh, RCA. Yep, actual RCA ones. Yeah, the power of the Cosmic Elf. Yep. Slide rules, Slide calculators. Rules. Leather case. 
This thing is pretty cool. Is that an abacus? 45. I, I see an Getting abacus, close. sir. Okay. Oh, yes, like there's an abacus, but it's an abacus with a calculator. <laughs> abacus, <laughs> calculator. Abacus, In case you're calculator. Lying, if your eyes d- deceive you. That's so your battery backup. If the battery in the calculator fails, you, you got the abacus handy. So what brand of slide rule is that, by the way? Is it like a, it doesn't look like a Koiflanesser. It looks more like a Bicket or something. Uh, there's a, the, the boxed one is KE. Oh, it's KE. Okay. It just has a brown case. So you just see And then orange. the brown, brown case one has oh, okay. to see. Made in like USA. Bamboo. Yeah. Bamboo uh, uh, center. Hang on. No, it's Let plastic. Me... It's yellow. It's picket probably. Lions. Brand X. All right. This is, this, this is the brand, right? Did, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I haven't seen that brand, but no, look at it. It's a sandwich. It's a bamboo sandwich. Look at it. Look at the right. edge. Yeah, see, it's bamboo, I mean, and then I, it has I, plastic I on the front and back. I, I have a slide roll collection, no, by it, the way. Definitely not. It was, it was yeah, we couldn't right. tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's upside down anyway. All of the numbers are going to fall off. Uh, I need to put you down, guys. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me slide this back into the... Slide this back into the case yeah, if I can. Case. I can't We're slide it back in. Uh, there's like documentation and stuff in there. He's stuffing, so his, he's stuffing his backpack. That's what he's doing. <laughs> well, that way, no. The, there's no there's no video evidence then. That's right. <laughs> Mike, he's not that kind of person. No, he's not. Only he's not just only when just I go for free, right? Just for free. He only stuffs things in his backpack from the free table. And that's only to keep it from his wife. Huh? Apple too. Is this, oh. is this, is this for real? Uh, could be. Uh, open it up. Lift the case off. So this is an Apple II. It's not a plus. It's got the raised power uh, light. So it's one of the earlier ones. You know, drop it inside there carefully. Cool. Okay. So it's got black slots. Um, look in the back left corner of the motherboard, right by the power supply. Down yeah, right here. there. Yeah. What's the number there say? Eight, the 8106. 8106. Okay, so that would be an actual serial number, probably. Oh, no, 8106. That's probably a year, actually. It's 1981, week, most likely. So, yep. yeah, it's hard to say. Does it have, uh, no, it doesn't. There's no RAM jumpers on the left side, so it's probably a Rev 7 motherboard. And only $1,000. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all the. You guys can see inside there. I can't. Anything inside there? No. Okay, show, us where, well, show us where the smoke comes out. The power supply right there. Assuming, as as assuming the that it's uh, all original. <laughs> yeah. Assuming it's all original. See, the keyboard is old. The keyboard is from like before 1978, but yeah. the motherboard's newer. But Apple was notorious when you sent them in in warranty. A lot of times they didn't come back with original parts. They'd like take your components off the your motherboard, put them on a fixed one, drop it in there and send it back. So you get a lot of them that are mismatched. The power supply yeah. numbers, the serial number. I can't, on the I can't believe this. This is this. This is getting to crazy town. Well, think about it. If it's really an Apple II lid and an Apple II case and power supply, if you have an old Apple II motherboard from like 1978 or something, you know, it, yeah, that's what they go for. You know. Wow. Okay. Well, um, I think that's about it. Anything new? No. All right. You know. Well, anything else you want to uh, that you want to see a little bit more of? 
I can go by, or is that enough for, of, is, of uh, shaky camp? Is it the consignment room? Uh, it slammed. We got a line or what? Uh, I don't know if you heard what uh, Eric uh, said. Yeah, it's still. Uh, I can see the line from across the way here. See those people lined up over there. Eric what said. Eric, when I ran into Eric, he said, "I don't know if you heard him. He said they had technical difficulties uh, in the consignment area at the beginning, and uh, that's uh, that's how they got into this situation. Unfortunately. Oh, so it opened real late. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Tell him, tell him you got a bag of twenties. They'll let him glitch in there. <laughs> With that many people." With that many people, I wasn't about to try to even cut in line. If you guys know what I mean, yeah, it would be too. That would be, that would be not the uh, not gentlemanly. Yeah, definitely. They have a lot more exhibits than they did uh, in 2019 or 2018. Yeah, it looks like a pretty big show. So, and I don't yeah. see any free coffee anywhere. <laughs> yeah, one thing about it is a computer <laughs> history museum, so I'm sure they're a little bit more amenable to stuff. So. I do know that uh, they usually get pretty good turnout when they have these events. They did it at VCF Pacific Northwest, and I believe it we also at West. Evie, Zeke, Joey, Henry, and Anna. Going hey, on I our, see a Taylor uh, and Amy shirt there, too. Hey, Oregon Trail. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually um, played uh, or, uh, last year sometime uh, when I dug out my Apple IIc. I actually played Oregon Trail with my wife. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Trip down memory lane. More Apple motherboards. Probably the same one. Repair, repair stuff, yeah. All right, guys. Go say hello to Brendan. Yeah, thanks for the live report. And, and some of those Cocoa people that are there that are you know not regulars on the show or stuff, we should see if you can Get line up some interviews or something, bring them on at least to talk about their you know exhibits, yeah. et cetera. Get their contact info. Yeah, I, I, I will. Um, but I want to put you guys, uh, put you guys down. And then I can I can talk to people uh, more easily without the uh, headphones, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, enjoy yourself with the show there, and thanks thanks for showing us. It was okay. nice. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye, Mikey. Oh, he's he's Bye, the the Newton and uh, Palm guy is waving too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, commercial break. Yep. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebge, Grant B., Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style. Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, 
Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Mr. Joe. Hi, I'm Joe. I purchased a Coco 3 for my children back in the 1980s. We had so much fun learning. Now, at age 66, I recently retired and I'm trying to interest my grands in the world of Coco. Dr. Ted Crazy Legs Nelson. Hi, I'm Doug. Mostly interested in 80s 8-bit computers, although the Coco was the only one I had as a kid during that time. My dad bought himself a Coco 1 in 1981 and taught himself programming on it, not to mention hacking it to 64K, adding a keyboard, etc., and for Christmas 84 he got me a 64K Coco 2. I could never wrap my head around the programming and always wanted to try and get into that. Chris B. Hello all. I'm Chris. I enjoy all 8-bit computers, but the Coco and MC-10 will always have a special place in my heart. I got my MC-10 in 1983 and my first Coco 2 in 1984. My interest in retro 8-bit was sparked a few years ago when I discovered VCC and ColorComputerArchive.com. I'm not much of a social media person, but after hearing about the Discord server on the Coco Talk podcast, I figured how bad could it be, associating with other like-minded Coco misfits. Joel H. Hey I'm Joel, coming over from the Tandy Discord. I'm a collector and enjoyer of the TRS-80, among some other childhood machines. The Coco 1 kicked off my collection habits, and I just recently scored my first Coco 3, which by the looks of the photos needs repair. Hoping to get more acquainted with the Coco side of the Tandy Radio Shack Arena. Find my AO at https colon slash slash abitebehind.com slash. Thanks for accepting me. Shuford 14, Eddie. Hello. Dropping over from the Tandy Discord group. I worked at Radio Shack back in the 80s and I believe the Coco was my first take-home system. Now, nearly 40 years later, I'm a collector of TRS-80 slash Tandy slash grid systems and Tandy slash Radio Shack corporate memorabilia. Hoping to learn, relearn? Exciting things about the Coco. I have the 1, 2, 3, MC-10, and a Dragon 32 in the collection so far. My soft. Yes, so hello people I'm Gregory Harbs, also known as MySoft, I have a CP400 and I'm the author of the Fast Loader Project, and been on Coco underscore chat, IRC, for a few good years. Shenley. Hi all. I'm AJ. I've been collecting consoles and games for about 20 years. Recently, I rekindled my love with the Coco, and have been scouring the web looking for resources. Looks like I found the place to go. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. HTTP http://discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Cristos. Hello, Muppet News Flash.
Okay, so <clears throat> since we've had kind of the game on challenge stuff first, and then we went into the live VCF, which is kind of like regular news style stuff. I don't know which one you guys want me to do first: game news or regular news. Ah, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> Anybody have a preference? Surprise us. <laughs> R&D 2. Okay, here we go. I'll do games first, I guess, just to be traditional. Okay, so the first is a batch by Jim Gary. He's been busy again, as usual. So the first one here is called Volcano. It's a 10-liner basic game. I think he's actually entering it in the 10-line basic programming contest. And he, I think he called it a flicker fest or something like that on his post on Facebook. But you know, you're doing stuff in 10 lines, what do you expect? So this one, you have to uh, use your helicopter to rescue victims of a volcanic eruption. And he's got some pretty neat little graphics there. He's got his little Y as your character you're rescuing. Semi-graphic spell, helicopter, um, the little you know burst coming up. But he's got a nice use of all the yellow and orange colors there to make it look like a... a it almost looks like the wildcatting drilling screen, to be honest, but... Not bad for 10, 10 lines of basic, at any rate. Pretty cool looking, actually. You know, see if we can get to the point where we actually rescue somebody. And of course, you got to dodge all the lava rocks and stuff flying out, so... And it randomly places the uh, people on the sides. <clears throat> Next up is uh, Alien Attack uh, by David W. Stewart. Now, this one, actually, he uploaded two videos for during the week. He did the initial conversion of it. And the original version by David Stewart was actually published in a magazine called Portable Program Review Magazine, December 1985 issue. Now, the first version he did basically... I'm understanding this is a fairly small screen portable. It was originally written for, so it was just kind of up in the upper left corner of the screen and only taking part of the screen. So this is the revised version. He did a little bit later in the week where he actually centers it, does some inverse video, et cetera, to make it look a little bit better. It's kind of like a 3D space shoot-em-up style. And it looks a lot better now because before, like I said, it was in the upper left corner of the screen. wasn't inverted video, so it looked uh, a little bit worse than it does now. And the last one that he put up <clears throat> is a, by the, a port by the, from the same original author, David W. Stewart, this time from an earlier October 1985 issue of Portable Program Review Magazine. This is kind of a, like a low-res Dungeons & Dragons-style game, kind of like a Calabeth from the uh, Apple II days. So basically, it's one of those, you know, get all the treasures type thing with some uh, low-res 3D graphics. Now, one difference here is that it's got, like, the nice numbered single-key uh, sequences to do things. You don't have to type anything like an adventure game. And there's little objects you can see on the screen. You pick them up, they actually disappear. So it's, I'd say, fairly well done for, for a low-risk uh, game like this. Anyway, it's a long video. I'll let you guys watch that. But uh, Next up, and this is just kind of a fun one. Um, Hugo DeFort has uh, been playing Shanghai for quite a few years here, and he, I guess he has never won it before. And he said, I finally won a game of Shanghai. So 
for those people that have also never won a ga- game of Shanghai, you get to see the little sequence that happens uh, when you win the, win the game. This is one that I know Rick Adams has mentioned. He was disappointed because he was trying to cram the full-size Dragon as appears in some of the other ports like the Amiga, the Atari ST, etc. But he couldn't fit it on the 16K cartridge ROM that Tandy said he had to fit it on, so he only had to do the little head-in-the-middle part. I just thought it was neat for some of the people who have never never seen that actually happen because sometimes it takes quite a while to win a game of Shanghai. And then this is the channel we've been covering lately, doing um, Dragon 3264 games and uh, doing them on real hardware. But the nice thing about his is that he's actually got the original uh, cassettes uh, with the original artwork for all these games too, and he does them in pairs based on a theme. So in this case here, these are kind of... Um, well, Time Bad, I'm sure all you're familiar with. That's basically a sort of Tutankhamun base, but with a lot of extra stuff added in. And then Glove is kind of a gauntlet clone. So they're both four ways scrolling or two ways scrolling in the case of Time Bad, um, you know, going through mazes, et cetera. But once again, you know, the artwork really nice. Now, I will mention that Glove is actually a later game. This was published by Chronosoft by James McKay, the same guy who did the 3D Death Chase we did recently. Uh, and I think he did Glove in 2007. And it's actually a game that recognizes whether you have 32 or 64k so it can buffer some stuff and it's also recognizes whether you have a dragon 32 64 or a coco one or two and adjusts itself accordingly um so it's a more recent one i'll pass for a little bit here so time banded on the dragon of course they Universe didn't have artifact colors garden and all of time that done, but, but you can see here it's actually using the pmo3 color so that you get actual color but does he have a lava lamp <laughs> And this is a glove for those of you not seeing it. So that's a one of the gauntlet clones we have for the Coco. <clears throat> now, glove was actually released as a freebie, though you can buy it if on cassette with the you know fancy artwork and stuff like that too. So it's a collector thing, or if you just want to play, you can just play it. So that was a nice, nice thing, nice gesture to the community that uh, James did. And actually, not a bad little gauntlet game. His next two pack here are a couple games for the Dragon specifically, Airball and uh, Wizard's Quest. Both of these were written for the Dragon. <clears throat> uh, Airball is, uh, I don't know how you describe it. You're playing a, a, a blown up ball that you have to reinflate yourself on occasion, but don't overinflate because you'll kill yourself and you have to jump over spikes and navigate a maze and it's it's not easy. I guess it's probably the best way to describe it. Got a nice little music routines. And then the same author, Edward, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right, Sio, something like that, also did Wizard's Quest, which is more of a top view going through a dungeon and gathering stuff and, you know, fighting monsters and things. So, um, then you to the these are PAL-based, so <clears throat> no, no artifact colors here, at least not on purpose. You have to find now, this one has pretty good, you know, isometric graphics, and this, uh, actually, there's there's versions of this type of game and this type of engine on some of the other machines from uh, the UK at the time, like the Spectrum, etc., but uh, well-detailed well graphics, but a viciously hard game to play, from what I remember. I don't know if anybody here on the panel has actually played this one before, but uh, if you want an exercise in frustration, it's a good one to pick. There you go, Ken. And then Wizard's Quest...
you must find and use many items. He's got some nice detailed graphics. It's, like I said, it's more of a top view. He always seems to put in some four-voice music routines. But the, the graphics are nicely detailed. This is one of the ones where if you actually turned artifacting on, a lot of the detail would be lost. It turned to color frame. Um, so in this case, it actually would be best to play it on a monochrome monitor or a CM8 or something on a Coco 3 where it kind of forces no artifacting and actually would look better. You're getting a very slight hint of artifacting here, but it's PAL artifacting, so it's, it's not as blatant as it is on TSC. And then the last double pack he did here was a couple of Tom Mix games. So Grabber, we've I think we've played that on the Game on Challenge before. One of my favorites of all time. It's one of the ones that actually did multi-voice music while you were playing. And an original concept. Uh, it's basically collect treasures um, and put them into the middle slots. At first glance, it looks like a two-maze Pac-Man. But you're, you jump between the two mazes and you get a little box showing where you're playing. Uh, and the other maze, when you hit the joystick button, you switch. So you, have to, you have to monitor monsters in both mazes simultaneously. So it's a really good concentration game. And of course, some of the monsters will go and pick up the treasures you've got and take them all elsewhere. And you have to get all eight into the centerpieces to get onto the next level. And there's multiple mazes as you go through. So it's it's one of my favorites. Like they you do Pimo 3 graphics in here. Alcatraz 2 is actually Mike Huey. Uh, it's his first Coco release game, I believe. He's the same guy who did Grabber. He did Draconian as well. But it's written in Basic. And it's one of the earlier ones where you could actually sell Basic games, you know, uh, back in the day. Whereas that and the Cocoa, I think that only really lasted until about 83, 84. And then unless you were doing like adventure games or something like that, you pretty well needed to have an ML game to get properly into the market type thing. So this is one of the ones. It was released by Spectral originally in in the States and Canada. But uh, it was a pretty interesting, cool concept. It's a little slow, but it was like early days for Mike. He was just kind of learning things. And then, you know, by the time he bought a Grabber a year or two later, it was like, holy cow, did he improve? And then Draconian's even better yet. So I'll play a little couple clips of those time sounds easy it so you can see here once again he switched to the pmo3 graphics mode and you could avoid uh, mainly because it shows up in color and this one it actually works for the most part there's a little bit of fraying i'm not fraying but because of the way the color is set up for artifacting you can notice like the box in the bottom here has kind of got this little pattern on the right side instead of a line that's just because of the way the, the bit patterns work switching from a artifact game to regular but it's fully playable and then Alcatraz, for those of you not seen it, Alcatraz 2, I should say. I don't think there ever was an Alcatraz 1. And this one, you're trying to escape the Alcatraz prison, basically, and you've got guards coming after you. So you're the green player in the upper left in this case. And then the two yellow guards go through there, and they can shoot at you and stuff. But there's also doors that keep turning on and off. And if you take too long level, I think it shoots out something at you, too, if I remember correctly. So you kind of have to, like, dodge being inside of the guards because they'll track you once they see you. But you can also manipulate the doors to block them off and try to get around to the escape route. So it's actually a fun little game. It, it first looks like an adventure game, but it's more of a, I don't know, a strategy arcade game, I guess, though it's a little slow and basic. I'll just play it for a little bit to show you what the speed's like. So it's all just using basic, extended basic commands for drawing everything. This is a concept, I think, that could be taken into higher res and add some more elements to it in a machine language game. It'd actually be kind of cool because it's, it's kind of original. Uh, next up, uh, the Dragon got some uh, love in the games category this uh, week, too. So this is RetroGamesTrove.com, and they basically do reviews of games. <clears throat> in this case, they're reviewing a game called Ring of Darkness, which originally came out in the Dragon 32 first in 82. The next year, it got a port to the Spectrum, and then I think in 85, it got a port to the Amstrad CPC. 
So there's a bit of the artwork for it. So this is one of the ones that started on the Dragon got ported to the other UK platforms afterwards. Now, unfortunately, all the screenshots they've got here, except for one, is from the Spectrum version. And it's basically a complete rip-off clone of Ultima 1, the original Base 9 with a couple... Or, sorry, Base 9. Basic uh, program with a couple of ML subroutines. And for those of you who played the original Ultima 1, because I know they've done a revised version that has been, you know, if you buy one of the treasure or the packs that contain all the old Ultimas in it, they come with the new version. Like, I remember this here. This is one of the town maps. It doesn't scroll like the later ones do. It's That's the entire town you're looking at there. And these were actually all done with basic. And I remember when we finally broke the copy protection, you could actually hit control C and, you know, pump up your food and your magic points and whatever else from within this section here. So it was fun. But if you remember the Ultima One map, I mean, this is almost identical. Like it's it's not just based on, it's a, like a clone of type thing. So this is the spectral version. There's the you know, standard stuff. Here's one of the dragon screenshots they have from the original version. I'm kind of explaining what the purpose of the game is. And then he, well, one thing I liked about this, he did it old school. He did it, uh, no on-screen maps, no cheating and, you know, writing code to interpret the maps. He actually mapped everything on graph paper in color, which is something I didn't bother doing back in the day. So water's blue, trees are green, you know, type of thing. And figuring out the entire map as you go, and I remember doing this, I think, uh, Ken Waters, I showed you some of my original uh, Gates of Delirium maps that I dug out of the archives here that uh, I, you had the online maps that are on my site now, but... Yeah, I remember doing this constantly. <laughs> I bought books of graph paper for these stupid games. And then he's showing some of the outside stuff here. Mapping the dungeons themselves, where the doors are, where the treasure chests are. Anyway, it's a very thorough review. Um, the 3D inside the dungeon thing. Um, this is based on the original Calabeth engine that uh, Garriott did before Ultima came out. Uh, this I can't remember if the Apple II version. Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this. Mark Overholzer, because you might know. I know the original Calabeth, mm -hmm. when you had monsters on the screen, it kept drawing the dungeon behind it, and you'd, you'd be kind of see-through graphics. Whereas on Ultima I'm one, on an Ultima one, I think he changes so that if you have a monster, it only draws the walls up until the plane where the monster is, and it didn't bother drawing it, so you didn't get that weird see-through effect. I can't remember if the original Apple version did that or not. I don't recall. I'd have to go back and look. I remember seeing it a few times, but I didn't play it a lot. So, so like this is more what it would look like back in the day, except you'd see all the monsters going through the distance. You could see through everything and see as far as you can. Whereas this actually kind of gave it so the monsters are blocking your view, which I thought was actually better because if there's another monster behind it, you don't know. It kind of surprises also you. Less visually confusing, too. Yeah, exactly. The giant frog is what I used to call that back in the day. I didn't even know it was called the Gorgon. But very, very thorough review. Um, and if you've ever played the original Ultima, you'll recognize a lot of this stuff, even though this is technically not Ultima. And I don't know if this was because maybe at that time, because I think that back then it was still Origin Systems that published Ultima, wasn't it? Before... Um, originally, um, he actually published them through, I believe it was uh, California Computer Systems, I think. So there's yeah, some very, very old think versions. Was. Yeah, and then it switched over to Origin. Because I'm guessing at this point, this is totally guesswork on my part, I don't know for sure, but I believe that because he was selling stuff to the North American on, so I don't think he really thought of the European market that early on. So there was no version of Ultima for all the various UK or European systems, and I think no. that's why this was a calendar. 
originally, originally Apple didn't even kind of hit the European market. Actually, um, who was it? ITT or something? They had something called the 2020, which was kind of like a licensed Apple II, but it wasn't quite the same hardware. It had like nine bits instead of eight bits for memory. It's kind of weird. But And then eventually they started making European apples. But yeah, early on, there really wasn't much of a market. The apple was so expensive, it just wasn't I mean, it's expensive for the American market, let alone, you know, Europe. Yeah. Now, by the time this came out, this came out in 82 originally on the Dragon, 83 on the Spectrum, 85 on the Amstrad. I'm sure Apple was on sale in Europe by then, didn't they? Yeah, they had Apple Ireland was up and they were making stuff. Uh, definitely the Apple IIEs at that point were, were made for them. But yeah, yeah. By yeah. But I'm guessing the, the software IIEs. companies in the States probably didn't extend to that market that early. Yeah. So. yeah, I'm sure they were lagging. So. Hey, if you're a fan of the Ultima style games, which we have some Coco clones like Seventh Flank and Gates of Delirium and Paladin's Legacy, it's it's along that style of game. It's definitely one that if uh, it's a game thing I miss because this is this is like Dungeons and Dragons that you can play single player. You don't need a DM, etc. And these games last for weeks, months. Like they're complicated, huge maps, tons of having to kill a bunch of things to level up, etc. Which were fun in the day, but nobody has the time nor the mental capacity, I guess. To, handle games this long anymore so you don't ever see them anymore which i kind of kind of miss and i'm kind of ken, glad ken was doing his little series of playing gates of delirium um ken is that something you're planning on finishing or have you kind of burned yourself out on that genre too i do plan on finishing it but uh yeah being out here i can't really do my twitch streams so well that's right yeah you were live streaming all those too i forgot about that yeah yeah anyway really good review of it um and one of those rare cases where the uh, the original version was on the Dragon first, then it got ported to some of the more popular UK machines afterwards. So definitely worth a read if you're into that type of game. And the last game-specific one here, it's, it's kind of game-related, not totally, but um, Retro Radar Column, uh, written by Ian Lee, uh, did a reminiscence of uh, the Dragon that he got when he was a kid. And he mentions, now I don't know if the States is the same as this. I know up here in my part of Canada, it definitely was in the early 80s, where basically on weekends, Sunday, everything was shut down. I mean, you couldn't do anything. There was nothing open to do. So kids got really bored, unless they were outdoor-style kids. Of course, they go out and play sports and stuff. I was not. I was one of those pale, ghost, white, sheet-style, you know, lock yourself indoors in the basement type thing so what do you do on a sunday when nothing else is open like you can't go do anything else type thing and uh so this guy published it and he, he was mentioning when he got the dragon well then there was all kinds of things to do um there's a quote there sundays were the worst everything was shut this is not an exaggeration and like here like even some grocery stores and stuff were shut on sundays like it, you didn't you need food on sunday you better have planned it earlier you're just gonna starve type thing and I mean, gradually that's all changed now. Now almost everything's open. Now in the States for you guys, especially the older ones that were around in the early 80s, was that the same situation in the States that everything was closed on Sundays? Or was that something more unique to Europe and Canada? No, Texas was like that. You might find a, a convenience store open, but real grocery stores, not so much. Like yeah, and then the entertainment stuff was closed too, right? Exactly. It was, Sunday was a slow day in my childhood. Okay. So, I mean, he talks about using the Dragon. Now you have something to do on Sundays. You can program, you can play games, you can do all kinds of things. And I, I experienced that myself, so I, that, that kind of hit home with me when I read this article. So thanks to Chris Poacher of the uh, MicroDeal Facebook page for uh, 
pointing that out to us and, and putting a copy of it up on the Dragon Group on Facebook so people could read the, the one-page little spiel on it. And I, I think it sums up quite well um, at the very end here because he talks about you basically do you know things on Sunday. And uh, he even talks about having to share bath water with his siblings there because they had the once-a-week bath back in the day. And, and he said, then it was a cheese sandwich. Bully in bed and then the dread of going back to school. Dear God, what a miserable time. Thank you, Dragon32, for saving my sanity and giving me some purpose. I don't think I'd quite go that far myself, but uh, not far off, to be honest. <laughs> so before I go on to the regular news here, does anybody else have recollections of, of, of this type of situation where basically everything in your town was shut down? on the weekend and then you 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 thank god when you finally got a, a computer whether it was a coco or a dragon or apple or whatever it was that you know all of a sudden now you actually had stuff to do in the weekend yes right <laughs> and don't forget the tv shut off right after the ten thirty news was done well actually he was talking about that you had to get permission from the parents can i use the tv now because they might have some program like i don't know coronation street or something they wanted to watch or whatever it was so well no that was my great time because tv shut off at 10 30 when the 10 o'clock news was done there was nothing more on tv so i could do anything i wanted on tv (laughs) (laughs) it was mine the rest of the night Yeah, from the sounds of it in here, he wasn't allowed to do that. He had to actually use it during the day. They wouldn't let him stay up late on it. And uh, basically, he had to ask permission to make sure there was nothing like no sports on or anything else that the parents would want to watch type thing. And then you'd have to share that TV. I do remember a bit of that. In my case, we had a big wood grain floor mount TV downstairs. And, you know, I had to pick and choose the times that I knew there wasn't something that everybody else wanted to watch because my other siblings weren't that interested in the computer off the start. It was just me out of five people in the house. And, you know, I definitely had to take my turn. And then eventually I, I picked up a, a smaller TV later on, that little color one that uh, I ended up using in my own room. And then I got to use it all the time. And then I'd work on the BBS till like four in the morning and then try to wake up for school. Didn't work too well. Anyway, that's it for the game on news. So I will switch the regular okay first up so this month's uh, coco crew episode number 86 dropped which has a uh, <clears throat> a review by neil of uh, the wild west it's a graphic adventure game one of the first coco 3 graphic adventure games by novasoft which is the uh the cheap subsidiary for Tom Nix, you know, cheaper games. And that's a fairly rare one, and it's a really hard one. I don't remember ever winning that one myself, so that was interesting. And they have a host discussion on who are our listeners, which for any of those interested, I'll let you listen to that. And if you want to send some feedback on that, you can. And next up, Alan Huffman's been busy with a couple of blogs here. And I, like Jim Gary, he didn't update to a blog earlier, so I had to quickly repair the link because the link name changed. But he's basically got two part twos going here. So the first one here is part two in color basic ram hooks. I think we covered this a week or two ago. Um, and this one, he actually does an actual program patch to the console out, which is basically printing, um, that forces any lowercase output to uppercase, but leaving the input alone. So if you typed in something on an input or line input command in lowercase, it'll force it to come up the screen as uppercase. So if you have a non uh, T1 VDG or non Coco 3, the inverse video would basically shut off and it'd come up normally. So he kind of teaches you how to use one of these hooks. Um, so he's got a little semi-language source code program here that basically just checks to see, is it a letter? Yes. Is it lowercase? Yes. Then flip it to uppercase. 
and he's got a little basic program to show, kind of show you demoing the little print hook, explains how it works, etc. Here, might not be a screenshot, I guess not. Anyway, it's, it's a good way to teach you how the RAM hooks work. In the previous article, he mentioned about 20 or 30 different RAM hooks that are built into Microsoft Basic. And this is how Microsoft extended the Basic. So Color Basic had all these hooks. Some of them weren't even used. Some of them were just empty and kind of just did a return. Um, later on, you all the way up through Disk Basic or Super Extended Basic, you can actually have it. So it take the previous ROM version, like, you know, from Disk Basic down to Extended Basic, Extended Basic down to Color Basic, et cetera, and keep copying those hooks so that you could, you know, copy jump into those routines after you check to see if your new hook needed to do anything with whatever the guy was trying to do, programmer. And then once it would go through and say, okay, this is not what I have to deal with, it would pass it on to the next ROM and just keep cascading down so you could keep expanding basic. And quite a few articles in Rainbow and Color Computer News and Hot Cocoa, et cetera, actually did extensions to basic using this exact technique to uh, hook in new features to print commands and IO commands and stuff. The one they mentioned on his first article was that originally Color Basic only had print numbers 0, 1, and 2. Or sorry, negative 2, negative 1, and 0 uh, for the printer, cassette, and the screen. And later they added on negative 3 for deload, which was for loading off that uh, Network 2 controller that Radio Shack put out. And then 1 through 15 for, for disk I.O. buffers once you added disk basic. So there's a ton of stuff that was added. And uh, it was a pretty nice way because it made basic extensible. You didn't have to replace it. Um you know, all the ROM chips, you could leave the original color basic, add an extended basic chip, it would just kind of merge in together and add in the hooks, add disk basic later on, ask, add Coke 3 basic, which was more microware, but uh, same situation. So it was, it was a nice way to extend basic. So good article on that. Second one, now this one here, he posted an original part two of this, and this is using if and or then versus if then if. And he was trying to figure out, you can do like uh, cascading ifs, if then statements. Um, now, if you use like if whatever condition and whatever condition and whatever condition, it actually has to process every single one of those in a row to figure out all the and things. And uh, you can also just do if then else type thing or if then if. And he was trying to figure out which ways would save the most memory and which ways would save some speed. And uh, William Astle, um, creator of LW Tools, LWSM, et cetera, actually put in a comment, which is why he updated the article. Um, and kind of goes through here. And actually, one nice thing was pointed out to him is that John D. on the Cocoa Discord actually mentioned that uh, using if, then, if uh, is something that actually the uh, this Cocoa 2 version of the uh, Extended Color Basic Man, getting started with Extended Color Basic, actually used that type of technique in one of their examples. And I don't remember this example being in the original uh, Color Basic and Extended Basic for the Cocoa 1 when they were two separate books. So I'm going to have to go back and check that to see if I'm just remembering it wrong. But uh, he actually found an example in the actual manual. Anyway, he goes through and it kind of goes through and checks these here and then starts figuring out, uh, you know, which one runs fast, which one runs slower. So here he ran one with if, then, if, then, if. 324. And then separate ones here with the uh, going to line numbers. A little bit slower. And here doing some not equals too. So it's basically letting it fall through on an equals. And this actually worked faster in this particular case. And then, you know, incorporating some of William's comments here too. Anyway, Alan's been doing a lot of these over the last year or so, where he's been really looking into the internals of how basic itself works. He's done stuff on variables and, you know, the bare pointer command, uh, arrays, all kinds of things. So if you really want to dig deep into how basic works and also which ways of doing things runs the best, runs the fastest. 
he's been working on a lot of those optimization things too. And there's a lot of cool techniques he's come in there that I had never thought of myself. And I mean, some of them, if I remember correctly, he's been getting some speed ups like of up to five to 10% um, on, on certain types of things that you can shift around from what you would normally just do out of reflex or from looking at the manuals. So if you're trying to write the most optimized basic programs, like for Microsoft basic, his various series of articles on this are actually a really good read because you can actually speed up some of your basic programs quite noticeably without incorporating any machine language routines at all. So it's a it's a great service that I think he's doing to the basic community and on the Coco going through all this kind of stuff. And, and it, there's a lot of research he has to do and a lot of experimentation. Um, so it's, it's, it's not exactly like a quick, I can flip this off in five minutes type thing. It's a lot of, a lot of research. So thank you, Alan, for doing all of this. Now this one here, this is from Paul Fiscarelli. And, um, this is an Adrian's digital basement video. Um, and it's basically one of his mail call videos. So he's showing a bunch of stuff. Now, Paul actually has been fiddling around with some of the uh, SWTPC computers. Now, that's something that Mikey's mentioned, too. He's been actually fiddling around with the name and stuff, too. And that's an older um, 6800-based, in the original form, computer from, like, the 70s, late 70s. So this is pre-Coco. And there was talk about the fact that the SWTPC um, 6800 used to have a sound card back in the day. And what Paul Fiscarelli did is he actually sent a, a kit of all the pieces needed to make one to Adrian to actually put together and put into his old technical system consultants. I think that's what TSC stands for. Southwest uh, Technical Products. Ah, sorry. Thank you. I was trying to rip it right off memory there, and obviously my memory sucks. Anyway. <laughs> and it happens. Yeah. Um, and there was always nine machines from them, too. I do remember that. Um, so basically what he does is he sends this in and then Adrian kind of goes through and I'll play the little clip of the video. This is a 40 minute video of all kinds of mail stuff. I'm only going to play the first part, which is from Paul, but it's actually based on the Coco's uh, six bit DAC and the way that works. So this actually gives you some volume control and be able to do you know better sound waves instead of just square waves, et cetera. And then uh, Paul went the extra mile and actually sent a little Coco demo. And apparently uh, Adrian is going to be getting back into the Coco in the future too. So I'll play the first couple minutes of this here, which will kind of cover the SW. TPC soundboard that Paul sent, as well as his little tribute to Adrian's basement, I guess, done on a cocoa. So we'll play that. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Adrian's Digital Basement 2 Super Mini Mail Call. I'm opening packages here that I got back in May, and it's currently July. So sorry about that. Oh, let me see who's uh, who this is from. This one's from Paul in Kingston, New Hampshire. Hi to all my viewers in New Hampshire. Let's see what this is. Hmm, looks like a kit of some kind. Ah, yes, I remember what this is. This is for the Southwest Technical PC. Here's the kit for the New Tech Model 68 Music Board Rev B. It's fairly straightforward to assemble with all the included parts labeled on both the PCB as well as the components themselves. During assembly, you have a few things to keep in mind. Resistor, ladders, blah, blah, blah. I've sent high-resolution photos of the fully assembled board to your email as a guide, but feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Take care, Paul. Right, so, okay, so what this is, Southwest Technical Products Corporation, that was the 1975 machine I have that is a 6800 processor in there. That's the precursor to the 6502. And, well, it turns out, wow, this is, a, this is an amazing kit, wow. Um, as it turns out, 
there was a soundboard for this at some point. Now, I don't remember all the specifics, but I think Paul said that this was based off the sound circuitry in the TRS-80 Coco, the color computer. Also a 68, well, it's a 6809 based system. Similar architecture, of course, to the 6800 in the Southwest Tactical Products Corporation machine. Now, the thing about the Coco is it has a six-bit DAC, digital analog converter. It uses a, re a resistor ladder network, and it's connected to one of the VIA chips, which is like a 6522, I think is what it is in there. And what software can do is use some really quick computation and some lookup tables. 6822, should say. Yeah. Is okay. it going to create 60, multi 6522 is very similar. That actually has proper sine waves and sounds really good. Not just the typical square wave stuff that you'd get with like a beep speaker. Now, if you watched my Coco One Repair video I recently did, I actually tested out a piece of software that played like some Christmas music, and it sounded really nice. Two channels, it sounded like it was sine wave based, so it was probably using that resistor ladder network to work. Oh, and just a small interruption here while editing. Back when I was working on the Coco One, Paul was actually helping me with that because he's got a lot of knowledge about the TRS-80 Coco One as well. And he created an 8-bit dance party intro with music for me using these same music routines that are used on this sound card here for the Southwest Technical Products PC. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I didn't get time to show it in the video, but I will next time I work on the Coco. Taking a look at the PCB here, there's the copyright date from Paul and then the original board designs from 1977. The Coco came out, I think, in 1979, so clearly the design of this was not copied from the Coco, but the Coco did have that six-foot DAC, so maybe some of the routines that were from that could have been adapted to work on this board, the original 77 design. So Paul has included the ICs here for it, and you can see that uh, there's a couple 74 LS logic chips and an LM something or other that's probably like an op amp or whatever. And then all the other parts are nicely laid out. The board is relatively easy to assemble and because it's for the 6800 PC, has these Molex connectors. And this is a smaller card with a 30 pin connector so it goes into the IO mapped slots in the back of the computer, which when I say IO mapped, each slot is addressed by specific memory locations and that's exactly like on the Apple II unlike the ISA bus on the PC where slots don't matter. You can put cards into any slot and they work based on jumpers on the, the card. But on the Apple II, like the disc controller, you typically put it in slot six. If you move it to slot five, then you have to talk to that card with a different command, PR number five. And that's because it is all memory address mapped to each slot. That's exactly how this machine works. Now, I am not gonna build this up right now because um, the 6800 PC is put away and I can't really do testing anyways but I will link to a video that Paul put online of this card operating, and it's pretty amazing to hear it work. It sounds really good for a 1977 machine. And then we'll bring in the amplified sound. And keep in mind, of course, this type of hardware is like bit-banged audio, you want to call it. It requires the CPU to do all the work. So generally, you're not going to be using this kind of sound in a game while other things are happening. The computer pretty much has to sit there and play the music full time. And that's exactly like the Coco One machine as well. It's not like it, well, typically you can't multitask and have that really nice sounding audio at the same time. It pauses, it plays the music, maybe there's enough time for you to like press a key to like stop the music, stuff like that. 
I think at this point from super mini mail calls, I have quite a few kits and stuff that I need to build up. So yeah, this is gonna go into the little pile of other things to build. I probably have five or six other kits that I need to put together at the minimum. I would like to definitely build up some of those kits. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't always have the time just due to time constraints of making the channel and everything. So thank you very much, Paul, for sending this in. And as I said, I will link to the video of this operating and I definitely will show this at a future time. I love the 6800 PC. I wanna explore it more and um, having some sound output from it will be pretty amazing. Oh, one caveat, by the way, about this. I'm pretty sure because the code that everyone is using to drive this card came from the TRC Coco, it's 6809 optimized code. And I think Paul told me in the email that there's currently no 6800 code out there to drive this properly. So I think he said he was gonna try to adapt it for me. And he may have already done that and I might've missed his email. And incidentally, the way this works could work on other machines like the Apple II as well. It could be a good way to bit bang some audio on the Apple II. And I think there are already pet solutions that work very much like this. It uses the user port. And actually, you know, the funny thing is about this, it's using that DAC resistor ladder. Well, you could use a simple parallel DAC. It's like a little IC that just takes the bits in and I think a clock signal, and then it outputs an analog signal and it eliminates the need for all those resistors that these early solutions like this used. Anyhow, thank you very much, Paul, for sending in the sound card for the 6800 PC. This will be seen on the channel at a future time. Yeah, and he also mentioned that he's, he's working on another Coco video too. So I, I guess Nick might argue there are some techniques you can use, at least on the Coco, to get around getting multi-voice music at the same time you're doing graphics. It takes some pretty good timing. Um, I'm using a technique that both uh, Nick and, and Simon have done where you overflow the uh, H-sync. Basically, you, you time the code for playing the music to take just over one H-sync cycle, and then you have the remainder of the second H-sync cycle to do graphics. Because if you do uh, the IRQ on it normally, it's just too too fast. You have almost no time to do anything at all in between. So you're spending so much time servicing the IRQ and pushing registers and pulling registers off the stack type thing. Uh, but that technique actually lets you get almost half the CPU time for doing graphics and AI and everything else gameplay, and then just over half for the music. Um, so uh, Nick, I think Pipes use that, and I think you're jumping. Yeah. Joey's using that technique as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, so, it works fairly well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you couldn't do like a full screen scrolling arcade action game, I think, with that technique. Cause it'd be a bit no, no, and, and the sound quality tends to be fixed at around seven, seven kilohertz, seven, seven and a half. Yeah, so like lower so, tones would sound better than higher tones, for example. Yeah, so you don't have a, a great variation, but, you know, you just use what, what you can get. Yeah, because in Jumping spot. Joy, you actually are doing some screen scrolling, and I know you're using some stack-busting techniques in there, but it actually, yeah, I, th yeah. I think, to both of our surprise, when you initially proposed it, um, I think it's actually running yeah. better than I was expecting. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm surprised as well. <laughs> I only started the thing thinking, oh, look, this isn't going to work, so I'll just try it, see if it works. If it doesn't, nothing lost. Well, it worked, and I'm still going on it. <laughs> So yeah. a couple weeks ago, Nick, you were talking about the Orchestra 90 and the possibility of a four-channel version. Have you looked at that software or something? You have no, some not yet. There? No, um, that's uh, one of my many sideline ideas, which I haven't had time for. 
the hardware is kind of a doddle. They did some weird decoding for various reasons, but I was just wondering because, yeah, more sound would be fun. Yeah, and really the, the Orchestra 90 is exactly what this video that uh, that we just played is. It's just a uh, resistor just two of them. ladder or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's got two of them, one for, for the, well, Orchestra 90 is a stereo card, so it's got two of those resistor ladders. But yeah, the chip that decodes it, Actually has eight decoding lines. Well, so really, does, can, let me see if I can do this on the screen real quick. I'm sorry to derail your news. Yeah, no, far away. No, I'll stop sharing and let you share here. So. Uh, let me see if I can make this show the screen that I want it to show. Can we get David C to say monitor, orchestra bindings? B monitor. I can do inception. Just, just wait. Right there. We got to wait for Mark B to switch over the view for you. Here, I'll just, I'll just huh? throw it in front of my face. You see if you can see this. Tell me if you ever see this. We see a black screen right now. Oh, really? Um, let's switch back to... Turn the lights on. There you go. This, okay. <laughs> so we have... Oh, this is my face. I want my screen. My thing is... Uh, there you go. Black screen. There we go. I can throw the screen. So this is why it was decoded so weirdly. They, they wanted to get... And Orchestra 90 doesn't use any of this, but they got software interrupt one both bytes and reset both bytes decoded with the cheapest hardware that could possibly be used and still got these two DACs in. Yeah. If we were making some kind of better hardware, we would abandon this stuff that isn't used anyway and just put four in a row and it would be easy to do. But then somebody has to make the ROM software understand four voices. Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. So that was the whole... Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. I had to have a look at it, and yeah, it, it could interesting things could happen there. Yeah, yeah, and it gives you better fidelity too because it's it's an eight bit sound, whereas it's the DAC bit, normally yeah. uses only six. So you got two hundred fifty six volume levels to work to work with, and the fact that uh, you're not muxing it on a PIA with a bunch of other craps, so you have to keep switching between I want to read a joystick, no, I want to do sound, you know, type thing, or read the keyboard. This is just you can just straight store it and go, so you can actually cut your overhead down even doing higher fidelity sound. So, I mean, while it's not a background sound chip, you know, that runs on its own, like a sound speech pack or some of the modern ones do, it still would actually give you better quality sound with less CPU time than it currently does. Now, with the four-voice version, you might, you know, it might take in a bit of extra CPU time, so it'd be about as what you're doing now, but now you've got, like, quadraphonic if you wanted to, or yeah, yeah. four voices bit, mixed on mono. Uh, or, or you just do, uh, well, the Amiga just takes two of them, puts them to the left and the other two to the right. So you yeah. could still have stereo, but four channels in, well, two plus two. Yeah, and you don't have to, like, mix them in software. It would just be straight no, out to no, the no port system. system. And you don't because yeah, right now, if you want every every voice you want to do, you have to add them together and then divide by that amount. So you can do, like, two and or four There is a or distortion. There, yeah, there is a bit of a loss. This will avoid the loss. Yeah, plus the extra CPU time to do the add, add, add. Yeah, logical shift, extra. logical yeah. shift type thing. So, and then the PIA crap on top of it. So this would just be like load D store D, load D store D, or or load Q store Q. If you got a six eight or nine, you're done. Better still would be to have a uh, separate controller on that on the board, on on the cartridge, say, and its own RAM, so you can upload <laughs> the waves. And get the CPU to play to the DAX, but then yeah, that's adding cost to it. So <laughs> yeah, well, sixty just added two in the chat. He said now add DMA to get data to those four channels, which yeah. is exactly what the Mika does. Well, yeah, 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 yeah put right. a sixty-eight oh nine on the on the card. 
Yeah. Well, that's what Jim Brain was yeah. proposing. He's, he has his dual 6809 card or 6309 in his case with its own onboard RAM, 512K per, I think, or something like that, that you could just send all the samples and the music and stuff to it, and then you let those chips run it. And there were three megahertz 6309s. Because yeah, chips are cheap, so yeah, run the ROM code on the card and don't bother your CPU with it, right? Well, yeah. Jim Brain's uh, Orchestra 90 card is programmed on a single CPLD. That's what he does with his uh, his uh, orchestra card. So really, he could just, I, I, I'm assuming, he could also reprogram it so that it, it is four channels and a four-channel orchestra 90 with one CPLD. Yeah. So that'd be low cost. Anyway. This and more so on this ideas. week's Feature Creep segment. <laughs> yeah, so many ideas, so little time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, not enough silicon. I, I understand, Nick, completely. <laughs> okay, next should up, our... Picked... Oh, I was going to say, should have picked a data, a data computer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so next up... Retro Rewind is going to be attending the World of Retro Computing Expo August 28th, so that's coming up at the end of the month here. In Kitchener, Ontario. And uh, he mentioned to me, I mean, he goes to this every year, and of course he does the standard Amiga stuff and, and Commodore stuff that he's more famous for. But this time he's actually bringing a Cocoa to have on display for people to try. And of course he does six through nine upgrades. He's got the Cocoa SDC that he makes. Uh, he's got the diagnostic ROM cartridge. So if you want to talk to Frank in person, and of course he's going to be our guest on the 17th of September as well. Um, Feel free to go, especially if you're in Canada, to go check it out. And from what I understand, I've never been to this particular one, but this is a fairly large-scale show as well, I believe. Uh, has anybody on the panel been to this one before? Nope. Okay. Crickets. <laughs> I've heard of Kitchener. I've heard of Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> the town or the province? Both. Yeah, because there's an Ontario near you, I think, if I remember correctly. There's there's an there's an Ontario in California. There's even one in Ohio. Okay, next up, uh, Carl England, uh, one of Alan Huffman's favorite programmers. <clears throat> now he's written a whole ton of utilities, um, especially disk-based utilities. So this is for David Ladd. Uh, in the past, uh, for real floppies back in the late 80s, early 90s, etc. And he's uh, recently gotten a Cocoa SDC, and he's been rewriting some of his utilities to be able to handle both real floppies and the SDC. And as he mentions in this post in the Cocoa group on Facebook, and I'll just direct quote him here uh, for the audio listeners. Well, I put a lot of work into updating my file copying utility so that I can navigate SDC DOS. It looks like it's 99% complete and no longer seems to have any bugs that crash my computer and corrupt disk files. So functions include selectable number of tracks from 18 to 80, format a disk, a real floppy disk on a Cocoa faster than Disk Basic does. Um, virtual disk is pretty well instantaneous, so it doesn't really help there speed-wise. Option to install Superboot on freshly formatted and created disks. Now, if I remember correctly, Superboot allows you to actually boot up any program you want. And it can even be basic uh, just from typing the DOS command, so you have that option as well. Simple file rename, simple file deletion, disk backup that's faster than Disk Basic's switch between real and virtual floppies, SDC directory navigation. You can select directories and mount disk images, all from this little um, utility. Create new directories and new disk images and file copying. Now, one of the nice things about the file copying for his uh, utility 
is that most of the other ones I've seen for the Coco is usually I pick a file, what drive do you want it to go to type thing. His actually lets you do multiple files, selectable, like not just you know, back up the entire disk or back up this file. If you only have six files out of 15 you want to back up, you can actually select all six in one shot and then just tell it to copy, and it'll copy just the six over, which is actually quite convenient. So at any rate, uh, he's currently writing the documentation for it. I don't think it's actually uploaded yet, but it should be fairly soon unless he finds some last-minute showstopper bugs. So look forward to that utility. And the fact that it works on both real floppies and SDC means any of us, including myself, that is trying to transfer a bunch of stuff off of real floppies onto SDC disk images, you'd be able to do all of that within this utility here and, and faster than you would normally on a, on a regular system and easier to use. So looking forward to that. And speaking of uh, disk utilities, uh, Richard Kelly... Uh, has put up one called Easy Directory version 1.9a. So this fixes the last bugs and speeds up a few things. And this is a uh, program launcher, I guess, that's written in BASIC itself. So, I mean, you can just edit it and change it and customize as much as you want. And basically, it's it's based on some uh, magazine article ones he did years ago, but he's added to it, sped it up, etc. And basically, lets you, uh, you know, select BASIC or binary programs and run them right from there. It's kind of like the SDC Explorer, except it's done in BASIC. Um, so, I, I mean, if you already have an SDC with an SDC Explorer, you probably would use that instead. Uh, but in this case here, this will work on real floppies, doesn't need an SDC. And uh, it's also written in basic, so it's much easier for modifi modification um, and not requiring the SDC itself. So that's available for download in the Cocoa Facebook group. Next up for the MC10, Simon Jonathan uh, put this up in the MC10 group on Facebook. Um, is anybody interested in the LZ? or LZSS compression for the MC-10 because he has a working compressor decompressor. Now, if I remember, and Mark Overhose, I think you're aware of this one too, because um, it's a cross-platform compression routine, but it's it's known for being a very small binary to do the decompression, like the entire program takes less than 256 bytes or something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it's, um, I think it's on 60 by 2 also. Yeah, it's on multiple platforms when I remember, multiple chips. <clears throat> so it does really good, decent compression, and it's fairly fast decompression. Really low memory footprint. In fact, if I remember correctly, isn't this the one that Paul, or sorry, Glenn Hewlett uses on his decompressing for like Defender and the Joust transcodes? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Now, the compression program that Simon has here is written in C, so it's meant to be cross-platform. You'd run this on a PC or a Mac or a Linux box or whatever and create the compression version of the data. But then on the MC10, this little tiny program that's only a couple hundred bytes long would do the decompression in, in RAM. So you could load in like a you know 16K chunk of data for your game graphics or code or whatever it is, and it would compress it down to like a quarter of that size. So it would load a lot faster and not require, you know, tapes and stuff being extra length, et cetera. And then decompress it in memory on the fly, and then you've got the entire thing you know, loaded that much faster. Um, I know, like, like, like I mentioned before, Glenn Hewlett uses it to fit some of his uh, transcodes onto a single disk or just a double disk where normally it would have taken like three or four of them to do it with raw binary data. So in this case, Simon's got the routines working. He's got the C code to create the compressed format. He's got the MC10 6803 code to do the decompression. Uh, but he's just kind of gauging, like, is there a lot of interest in this here? So he's kind of just asking, like, how many people would like it? Uh, and he said he can post it either in the MC10 group or as a private message to whoever requested. I would put it up in the group because, I mean, people could come and find this a year later. And... Uh, 
you know, not know the background of where to get it, et cetera. And you might as well just have it available, I think. Because then if it's available for everybody easily, I think more people would use it. And you could do stuff like, you know, tape loaders. You could even load it in like, uh, you know, your splash screen and stuff compressed so it, you know, comes up way faster than watching it draw across at 1500 baud. So I think it definitely has some uh, use just to put it up, you know, as it is with the C compressor to do it cross-platform. Okay, next up, Mike Miller in the Dragon Group posted up the Dragon DOS version of a port of Robert Galt's Cocoa Disk Drive RPM rotations per minute checker. Your standard drives for the Cocoa and the Dragon should be running at 300 RPM, ideally in between about 296, 297 to 302, 303, somewhere around there. Is the optimum if you get too far out of spec, you'll start having problems reading other people's discs or uh, even standard ones for the Cocoa that you might have bought, you know, from Radio Shack back in the day or whatever. Um, so it makes it, you know, more compatible. I mean, the things you really got to worry about using real floppy drives these days is to make sure the heads are clean, it's in alignment, and the speed's right. And the speed's one of the few things that the non-soldering types like me can actually handle because it's usually just a little flat screw or something. I have a little screwdriver, you can kind of adjust it. But basically, you run this program and you'll get to see what the actual RPMs are. The Ostein level one disc and level two disc actually has this built in too. Um, but for the Dragon, running natively under Dragon DOS, because the Dragon DOS is the one thing in the Dragon that's completely different than the Cocoa version. In fact, it's a much better DOS than the Cocoa version, to be honest. So if they have a native one there, you can actually make sure that your Dragon drives are running at the proper speed. That's available for download in the Dragon group on Facebook. And the last one here, this is a bit of good news, and it's kind of following what Eddie Zerbinski said earlier, where he's uh, currently cancer-free, John Whitworth who, of course, ran Dragon Plus Electronics and does the Super Sprite FM Plus board and a ton of other Dragon-related hardware projects. And he kind of had to shut everything down because he's going through leukemia treatments as well. And apparently his are going fairly well because he's actually reopened Dragon Plus Electronics now for business. Um, I'm getting some ghosting from something. Somebody's echoing. Maybe me, science. Yeah, it was. Thanks. Um, so basically, he's reopened this shop. Now, he's changed the, the web page a little bit, the original version of the web page, because he was expected to keep doing orders as he got enough orders in. It was He'd list everything that he possibly could make on the site, and it would say, you've got some in stock or you're out of stock, and then it would just expect that if it's out of stock, he'll restock it as he gets enough orders in. Um, it, after his current round of treatment, that in fact, he's opened up the site, and he's doing well on his treatment so far. But I don't think he wants to commit to doing that because he doesn't. He's not totally done yet, and he, he wants to make sure that he's in full remission before he tries to do this. So he's changed the website so it will only list stuff that's in stock. So you don't waste your time trying to get him to make stuff that you know he's not sure if he can get to at this point. So basically, everything on his site will be what's in stock, and it will be a kind of reduced size. But at least you know it's there. So it's it's great to hear that he's doing well enough that he's actually open the store again because he really did not think that was going to happen. So. Uh, congratulations to John on opening the site. Congratulations on on the treatments working, and I, I hope they continue to work. And that's it for the news this week. Okay, I just got a message from uh, uh, Mikey that he's in the consignment line now. <laughs> oh. That's right. Uh, I'm, I, just, I decided that I should show you guys, so I just, uh, I just got in the end of this line, and... Uh, if you don't mind, uh, when I actually get inside, I'll break in and show you guys what they have for sale. Cool. Sounds good. How long do you think you have? 
Whoops, look, I muted. I have no idea. It looks like a really oh. long line. I see some people. It looks like they're they have some books to read there while they're waiting in line. Well, they possibly those books possibly came from you know over here where we uh, where we showed it before. I noticed that some books are missing from the last time I came over here. There's the line. Said, Grab a book. Did you did you pack a lunch, Mikey? Mm-hmm. I actually uh, I actually ran across the street to uh, Starbucks to uh, get a sandwich. So. All right, I'll let you guys go back to the show, and uh, um, I'll try to politely uh, break in when I get inside. How's that sound? Okay. Sounds good. Cool. Agent Mikey, out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any uh, project updates and acquisitions? Uh, just okay. the interviews for me, and like I said, there's there's multiple other ones in the works here that I haven't announced yet until we get the official details. You can put me on for a minute. Sure. I can share something too. Ron Delvo, we fax update. Can't share yet. Okay, go ahead. Too many buttons to push at once. Okay. Let's see if that's the right one. We're looking at my page. Yep. All right. I did some more high color screens, as you can see. Um, But what's cool is I, I discover things now and then, and this one was interesting. Video game crash of 1983. Is anybody familiar with that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I never heard of it before. It says uh, video game crash of 1983, known as the Atari Shock in Japan, was large scale recession in the video game industry that occurred from 83 to 85, primarily in the United States. Not. What do you know about that? For a lot killed of most of the game consoles out. back then. Yeah, that's where all the ET things went into the landfill. Was kind of due to this crash, or this crash may have been due to them. Well, you <laughs> yeah. you also you also had like with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, you had a lot. You know, anybody can make an Atari Twenty Six Hundred game, and you had a lot of crap, you know, garbage. Yeah, you had a lot of garbage <laughs> where I was going to say games of varying quality, but I like that. I like that better. <laughs> no, and, and games what, of no quality is what I games would of dubious quality. Is it, is that what they put on these little um, reproductions that look like uh, Atari? You know, with uh, little controllers, and they've had a mm. hundred some games on them. They're all those bad ones, or what? No, no those are mixed games. Games. Yeah. Now they're real games. See? But but the biggest thing about the video game crash, I mean, arcades suffered uh, somewhat. But if you take a look at like what are what what video game consoles like the and televisions, ColecoVisions, et cetera, that were out <clears throat> from 1983 until Nintendo from Japan came into the North American market again in '85, there was basically nothing. Right. Like uh, nothing new came out. That's how bad it crashed. People figured that- business people figured that the video game craze was over. That was done with, and that's it. And that's uh, why the original NES. 
you don't put the cartridge in, you push it in and push it, you know, slide it in and push it down so it looked more like a VCR than it did a, uh, a video game console. Hmm. And there's this um, lethal enforcers that I found, you know, a couple years ago, I, I had this up. But um, this runs on a uh, 68, 6309. Uh, what did I put on there? Yeah, I remember reading this post, and it is a 6309. Yeah. If not two of them or something, I can't remember. Yeah, and then um, if you get a chance, watch this, because this shows the arcade, and it's pretty cool to watch. And it's amazing to see that it's run by a 6309, and then it has a Z80 uh, managing the sound, and another processor for something else, I forget. Anyway. Now, one thing I'm curious on that, like uh, the 6309... I mean, back in that time period, it would, a lot of these hidden features I don't think were known yet. So I don't nah. know if they had inside scoop on and they were using the extra features of the 639 or if they're just using it because, A, it's low power and low heat. And, two, it also had a 3 megahertz rated part, whereas Motorola only went to 2, so maybe they needed the extra speed. Yeah, this here says it was 8 megahertz. See it there? Ooh. Wow, and that's really overclocked because the 639 yeah. officially maxed at 3, though a lot of people ran at 4 or 5. I've never heard of 8, though. Yeah, there it is. That Unless could have been just a typo, though, because yeah. it was typing, but yeah. it was the normal number. Yeah, it could be. Yep. Anyway. And the thing is that that game came out in 92. I, I, I reckon there's a typo there. I reckon it was meant to be a 68,000 running at 8 megahertz. Do you think so? I reckon there's some. Yeah, well, the, the, the year, 92, um, by that time, there was more 16-bit stuff than 8-bit. Yeah. So I reckon there's a typo there. Alan Huffman said he thought it could be reproduced. Anyway, um, the guy that does all the high-color stuff that I did. Suckmaster, um, John Kowalski. He came up with this years ago, and then I I, uh, <laughs> I added the red button. <laughs> then I added uh, SDC uh, slot. SD yeah, that's slot. a good idea. And a, and a power LED. And I took the um, floppy drive out the side. And then I thought maybe um, that you can't see it, but in the back could be another floppy slot. And then you could even have it so that the keyboard up here lifted up and you can put another uh, cartridge in or something. But anyways, it's just something really cool to look at. It's so clean and nice and it looks so cool. I mean, it's probably the size of what uh, some of these other machines are. Like an Atari you know, ST or something? Yeah. Like so, and yeah, it doesn't have a real time clock. Well, oh, good. you got room. Oh, now. yeah. <laughs> Look at how much room there would be in there for extra goodies. Heck, you can put a clock radio in there at that point. <laughs> yeah. Right? A VCR. Hey, Coco you know, Man. A, a coffee a, warmer. That's what I want. Yeah. Coco yeah. Man, this is a real time clock that runs on, you know, if it's in a 28 pin slot. So, <laughs> it's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> And then there was this thing. If you've ever, have you guys, um, anybody have any idea what this is about? Because it's it's pretty weird. This is from back in the day before there was internet, evidently. And um, these three people lived in a room and they would leave their computer on and somebody would type a message into their computer. And a time would, traveler. Uh, yeah, a time traveler. And, and they used uh, old English language to type with. And um, 
I, I think it's a nice um, story, but you know, impossible to happen. I don't know. You what don't you time time? I've been seeing. <laughs> I've been seeing this video pop up over and over and over again. Is it mm-hmm. actually interesting enough to watch? It is actually quite interesting to watch. Yes. Very well done. Okay, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to take a look see at it. Yeah. yeah, there's actually multiple videos on this particular uh, subject here too, and there's some that kind of go into debunking the time travel stuff, like go into a bit more detail and specifics be, and stuff than others do. What would be cool is if they would have had cameras like we have now that you can set up and point it at the machine and just let it sit there, you know, and see if something comes up automatically, you know, by itself with no nobody pushing on the keyboard. That would be. I interesting. think it was his cat typing on the keyboard. Well, the other the other interesting thing would be, uh, did they they never talked about saving the messages off or how much memory was left or if they ran out of memory or you know none of that's mentioned, which is because it's fake. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Probably. But what if you could go back in time and have Tandy win? (laughs) I've seen that, (laughs) Joe. All right, so. Uh, just something I run across. And then uh, what else do I have here? Uh, I've, I picked up a um, an enclosure and bought a cheap drive, and now I have a terabyte drive in there. That's cool. On your Coco? No. You know, it's not, on my main machine here. It's extra space for pictures. You know, I have thousands and thousands of pictures. Anyways, um <clears throat> Here's the spaghetti plate that I did the other day. <laughs> um, while I was doing stuff like this, um, Paul Fiscarelli has a um, uh, program that he uses to make um, sprites and stuff. And he can also take a picture like this and turning it into 16-level um, color. And he, he does an a awful nice job of the same thing. I don't know that I uh, – I think I might have put his picture here. No, I did not. Oh, well. But anyway, sometimes I put pictures up, and then he hurries up and makes some pictures, and then he sends them to me. He goes, what do you think? And they look pretty good. He does a pretty good job. The high color is just a little bit nicer, but it looks really nice. I don't think I have any here from him. Yeah, the Coco VGA ones, they're they're a bit coarser red, so you have to stand away from the water a little bit. Yeah. But at a distance, because it even it has a lot of color, it act, they actually look pretty good, just not mm-hmm. up close. They do. So... That's about it, guys. You get a chance to uh, check out stuff on my page. What's what's cool to do sometimes, if you ever get a chance, is go to this uh, media and uh, you pick something you're interested in. You know, And this goes back uh, with all the pictures I've ever taken and stuff. And if you find something neat that you'd like to have for yours, you can click on it. And in the file section, there's some of these pictures. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much. I did okay, have, before we I, get into Mikey and et cetera, I just want to mention one thing in the chat here. Uh, Tim Gilbert said, still good news today is I found another dragon tape with more of the Quill Adventure interpreter for the 6809 code on it, the source code. So I know he's been trying to recreate that. And Tim was, of course, a guest on one of our big dragon specials back in the day. So cool that he's finding some of the original dragon source. Maybe uh, we'll get fully source code again. Anyway, on to the next. Did we take up enough time for uh, Mikey? Uh-oh. Uh, Ron, did you create any new Facebook no. groups this week? No, just the other week I did the... Um, Floppy disk one? 
are the art of floppy disks and uh before that or at the same time i made one for um printers trs80 printers and what's so we'll next see. week's uh weather gonna be like uh ron um just a minute now where are you <laughs> dry <laughs> <laughs> so mikey are you still in line or are you in the the room yet oh uh, yeah I'm, He's still I'm in the still, toilet line. I'm still in line. Oh, you but, barely uh, moved. <laughs> I was, I, yeah, I barely moved. I don't Did know. Did you make any uh, new friends? Yeah, I was talking. I was talking to the guy next to me. Yeah. Um, do you guys, do you guys mind if I share something that's uh, Coco adjacent, that uh, still in the Motorola family? Sure, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So, let me. Okay. See if this works. Oh, can you guys uh, can you guys see, see your my screen? screen? Yeah, I'm we can see your screen. Yeah, I'm actually uh, I'm actually sharing a document here. So, uh, I I'm still working on the uh, video for this, but uh, I'm giving you guys a little sneak peek. About a month ago, I was uh, searching on archive.org and the web. I think I was looking for CPM for 6800 or, 60, or 6809, and I ran into this book, CP68, an M6800 operating system. And so there's a, there's a story here. And so uh, what this is, is this is a book that was published by these guys, Jack Hemley and Robert Grapple. Uh, they published in Byte Magazine in uh, around 19, 1977, 1978. And... Uh, they actually wrote this operating system. If you read the, see the note, the note here. I'm actually moving. Uh, where's the note? <laughs> yeah, here. CP68 is a floppy disk operating system. Blah blah. blah. They used this uh, for a programming course. Uh, if I scroll a lot more, um, they published the entire source code for the operating system in this book. Have to get down to about a page 100 something here. Is Let's it multitasking? Uh, well, no. you're talking about a model at 6800. So uh, you're running at like one megahertz and uh, you're less powerful than, uh, than 6809. Uh, you don't have 16 bit uh, registers, you only have one X register, which is 16 bits, which is not fully functional. So it would be quite a trick to convince this CPU to do multiple users and things. Okay. Um, I guess you could do it. So I'm working, uh, I found this book a month ago and then a couple of days ago, I found somebody actually, actually uh, a guy named Robert Sancho V, I think is his name. Uh, he's working on, uh, this is not really loading that fast, sorry. Um, uh, he actually, uh, a group of people OCR'd the code out of this book, uh, assembled it, you know, did all the corrections, assembled it, compiled the disk image, and uh, it actually boots on real hardware, and I have it booting on MAME. So uh, hmm. this is going to be something that's going to come for me in the future. Uh, that uh, I'm still, I'm still, uh, still working on. So what do you guys think? Cool. It'd be kind of like going back into flex and stuff on the 6800 too, then. Yep. Very much. 
All right. Well, uh, how much more show do you think we have? Because uh, not a not I a ton. So is... I don't know if we're going to make it by the time you get to the room. But record some stuff in the room. Yeah. If it looks interesting, we can put it on next week's show. You got you got a fifty dollar uh, sure. bill. You get yourself up there with. Yeah. I mean, I... you have to start passing that around as you walk up the line. Yeah. <laughs> You know, pass out 20s as you move up the line. There you go. This, this and more on This Week in Stalling for Time. Yeah, I know. Uh, what, uh, watching know your progress I, so far, I don't think we'll stall until you're you're in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But, um, but yeah, record anything really interesting there, and then we can show it on next week's show. Yeah, I'll, uh, uh, I'll get my headset, uh, my other headset, before I do that so the audio is a little better. But uh, yeah, um, just uh, just one one short question. Uh, what do you guys uh, What do you guys think about my um, my main videos? Are they too boring? Do I need to work on my delivery? <laughs> Keep on keeping on. That's yeah. I, no, I like the fact them. you're picking like the more obscure older systems too. That you know a lot of people haven't even heard of, and you're, you're kind of the ancestors of well even the cocoa because you've been doing some 6800 stuff so i like them Good. yeah um you know uh besides uh adrian's digital basement um one of the other things that inspired me to start making those videos is uh if you search around for random you know that man can emulate hundreds of different different kinds of computers and uh people make videos of bringing them all up and they just type like random gobbledygook on the keyboard. They don't actually try to run them. They don't try to boot them. They don't try to do anything interesting with, with any of those computers. And uh, I'm so, you know, uh, I, I am, trust me, I am working my way up to some, you know, OS 9 and some other things on, on 6809. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to uh, do more, more work and more research. So but, are you uh, going to... Are you going to wind up doing a GUI on the 6800 then? Uh, apparently, <laughs> there's a demonstration of some kind of a flight simulator. On the on the 6800? Yes. Wow. Uh, I have not actually tried to run this. Um, I, I have the setup to do it. Um, well, uh, maybe I'll try doing that. Um, I don't know if I can get it to run... In the main emulation, I may have to use SimH, but uh, I'll, I'll try that. If I can our, get that working, I'll make a video about it. Our, gra our graphic screens on the 6800 similar to the Coco? Well, it was a very different time back then. Um, basically, uh, some in this particular case, it's a terminal, which can do some like block graphics. Um, Maybe uh, somebody uh, was using a 6800 CPU and they, they have a, a board or a pile of circuit boards or something that, um, that, that generate video output. There may have been some commercial, there were, I think there were a couple of commercial video kits. I don't know uh, that worked in SWTPC, maybe like gimmicks or something somewhere around there. I, I remember reading some something about some video boards that were available for these computers. But uh, it's not like, you know, if you had bitmap graphics, they were going to be pretty slow. So th this is actually uh, like block graphics um, 
something similar to semi-graphics inside of a, you know, a data terminal that has like something similar to a semi-graphic mode, something like mm-hmm. that. That's how they did this. I'll yeah. try to get that running. Right, because you couldn't afford RAM for, for bitmap graphics anyway back then. Nobody yeah. had to RAM for that. So, yeah, serial terminal. <laughs> right, you had, um, what, like 1 or 2K of, uh, uh, one or two K of static RAM uh, or something inside of the terminal, just enough to hold 1 or 2 pages of data. So this shows how, how advanced the uh, MC10 was compared to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, VDG, VDG was later, right? Wasn't I? Don't remember the exact timing of VDG. Curtis uh, said it was six seventy-seven. Yeah, probably yeah, because they did the whole, you know, they did the whole chipset. Of course, uh, sixty-eight oh nine was seventy-nine, so they did the design in seventy-eight and released the chip in seventy-nine. So okay, and the Coco came out. 6809 was still pretty new. Only about one year, one year old. All right. Well, I don't think, I don't think uh, we're going to do that much more stalling. Uh, I'll wait in the line at least until the show is over. And then uh, after, probably after this, uh, Deke wants to talk, uh, not Deke, uh, Stick. Uh, I ran into a Stick, Stick Gap. He's here. And uh, he want he he wants to talk networking. So, so is this open as oh, he should? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ron. Is this open till Sunday? It, it is, but I'm not planning. I'm not planning to go tomorrow. Yeah. Are, are you I only put, got. I only are, got uh, got a uh, a permission slip for uh, today. Are you going to post, post some pictures on the Cocoa Facebook group of the um, Cocoa stuff there? Uh, I can certainly go back and uh, do that. Uh, if I'm, It would help if I'm not on uh, YouTube or uh, Zoom. <laughs> okay. That's cool. And, yeah, I want to take some pictures and take some Cocoa pictures and some long Cocoa pictures and uh, share them with a couple of people. Maybe uh, uh, Donahue's uh, Coco VGA thing too. That would be cool. Oh, oh yeah, he's he's there, and uh, and his daughter is uh, is with him, of course. So okay. Does anybody else have any other uh, updates that they want to talk about? Or actually, I thought somebody else had mentioned something too, but I, I can't remember who it was. Was it Rick? Maybe or no? I've just oh. been soldering all week. Oh, okay. Or Nick Marinis, do you have an update on your game or anything? Or uh, Nothing really to report, no. Okay. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Okay. Okay. Ready for the outro? I think so. This concludes another episode of Cocoa Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. 
consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyd, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Lang, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Closer. So, now I say, somebody, ha- I can't, uh, I can't really read the chat very well. Do you guys think the question was about my YouTube channel? Uh, I would yes. say so. And it looks like David Lads replied. Okay, I also posted. Uh, if uh, Marco or somebody wants to uh, paste it uh, in the chat uh, on uh, Discord, I pasted the the link to my channel. It's um, just Mikey and Six IL, and David uh, Ladd posted it. Oh, thank you, David. So, uh, yeah, um, and uh, you know, sometimes I do Coco stuff. Sometimes I do other stuff, but uh, it's all geeky and fun and retro for me. <laughs> and retro, right? Thanks for showing us all that stuff. Yeah, it looks like a good show this year. It's, it's definitely bigger than the last time you guys showed. Bigger, it. much bigger. Yeah, it's 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 bigger than last time, especially if you have to wait over, you know, like an hour to get inside the consign the silly consignment room. I mean, geez. Well, is there just a limited amount of people they can have in the room at one time? Yeah, uh, apparently the other room that I showed you guys is one person one person's collection that they're actually selling. 
Uh, and the official containment is in, I don't know why they did it this way. The official containment is in this back room. And uh, I think it's just, I think it's a relatively small space. Maybe they did it so you could back your uh, pickup truck to the back door <laughs> and load the stuff in that you bought. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that's actually not, that that might actually be true. Um, uh, the Where this consignment room is, is right on the second next floor, to though. the uh, uh, back loading dock the elevator, the back elevator. Yeah. Mark, do you remember where we loaded our stuff last time through the back? Yep, I do. And there's apparently a room in the back right next to the elevator, and that's where this consignment area is. So that yeah. makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, uh, sounds like a show's ending, and I'm going to leave this line and go find a stick. Okay. Thanks, Enjoy. Well, thanks, thanks again for the live report there, Mikey. Make sure they know that they were famous for a short time on our show. <laughs> uh, you guys have to remind me. I need to. Uh, I need to go back to the to the uh, cocoa cocoa people and uh, remind them about uh, cocoa talk. Right. So, uh, yes, let me let me dig, let me dig up a link for that to. Uh, yeah. See them. if they can join the Discord too, because then we can actually talk to them and maybe arrange an interview. Uh, do we still have Do we still have a Discord invite somewhere? Yeah, discord.cocotalk.live. Oh, that's easy. All right. It I'll is. Take, I'll, I'll try to send send that information. Thanks a lot. Well, Thanks, Mikey. And, All right. Uh, ne next week's guest is uh, who again? Glenn Dahlgren with his new book and then uh, a little bit of Cocoa stuff as well. All right, and Food Wars, the game of the week. Yep. Yeah, also, don't forget to get your question in for our uh, off-air interview with Michael Duncan, the author of Xenion. Get those in by May 19th. Or some May 19th. August 19th. Of what year? <laughs> August 19th. <laughs> so it'll I'm be thinking Sun Cocoa Fest from last year, May. Sorry. Slumdog Saturday. Coming up. Yeah. Okay. All right, then. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.